whenever you are and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you. We're going to help out the only way we know how. By being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. Delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week, Robinhood and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forums, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host, slash nemesis the guy who's always springing forward mr christian spicer hello christian hello you know they say there's nothing sweeter than a child's laugh but that is incorrect there's nothing sweeter than when jeff canada makes himself laugh that is the sweetest laugh that the world has ever heard (laughs) you know how when your voice does something you didn't expect and you just double down on it you just double down on it you go you know what that's what i intended to do going with it yeah, well, that, was, that was that was starting the show off this week. No one noticed. No one noticed. You're good. <laughs> good. Glad I didn't point it out. Hey, we have a uh, huge show for you. Uh, man, so much to talk about. The games, they are sh- raining from the heavens. We have AAA game after AAA game. Beginning of the year has become the new end of the year. And we're getting, you know, it's just tons of stuff to talk about. Tons of news to talk about. We have bonus content at the end of this episode. I talked... I have my, my yearly check-in with Kelly Wallach from the Independent Games Festival and and uh, and all the things that she does at GDC and PAX East. We talk about all that stuff. It's really fun checking in on the state of independent games, and, and she just has her finger on the pulse. It's content you won't want to miss at the end of this episode. But we have a jam-packed episode on our way there, and we have a great guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm excited because DLC stands for Deformed Livecast, because <laughs> from the Super Deformed Games cast, John Phipps is joining us for the first time. Hey, John. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? I'm, I'm good. That was perfect. <laughs> I'm taking that and I, I'm I'm stealing it. I'll I'll pay you a royalty if you need it. But that was fantastic. <laughs> oh, I, I I no royalty needed. I'm 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 happy no, um, to have you. Jeff does not speak for the show. Uh, royalty needed. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> slide, in my, slide in my DMs after the show, man. We'll talk rates. Okay, cool, Sounds cool, good. cool, cool. Sounds good. Uh, well, we got a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email at dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks hanging out there. You should check it out. Be one of them. Uh, John, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I'm going to have to go with EA skipping E3, man. Yeah, um, yeah. That, Another that one bites good. the dust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what? Well, what's interesting is uh, last year I was talking about this on Kind of Funny with Greg Miller. We, I was on the show 
when Sony pulled out, like right in the middle of the of the show, you know, the live show, <laughs> the news came that Sony was pulling out of E3 and uh, <laughs> breaking news, breaking news. Like that oh, it was, it, well, and Greg's reaction was um, incredible. And I, I got I was there to see it live right in front I of me. Mean, Greg awesome. doesn't like Sony, though. So that's probably a non-issue. Yeah, right? he does. He's, a, he's a huge Xbox guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. every, everybody knows this about Greg. Um, but yeah, so the uh, yeah, so E3 uh, is is down another one. Um, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of spurred a conversation this week as to, you know, I, I'm not going to be one of these guys who sits here and says, you know, E3 is becoming less relevant. But I think I think the question, I don't know, it's it's an interesting conversation, right? Because I, I had suspected that when Sony pulled out, there would be another one. Um, and here we are. So, yeah, EA, of course, you know, had already officially sort of pulled out of the conference itself. And they are still putting on their EA Play event that is concurrent with E3 uh, in Hollywood, California, which is people that don't know LA might think uh, is close to where the uh, E3 conference is. It's not really. Uh, they're both in LA technically, but LA is sprawling and big. Close and in distance out. forever in time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very inconvenient for those of us that need to go to both events at that time. But um, yeah, so that's in Hollywood and the convention center where E3 is, is downtown. So they weren't really near. They were concurrent and sort of it felt like EA was, you know, participating. And they had the press conference that was scheduled with all of the other press conferences so that press types could go to all of them. And uh, I think EA's was actually first the last couple of years. No press conference this year. They are still having that EA Play event that is a fan event that people can go to. If you like standing in lines, it's great. Uh, it's a big, <laughs> big, long wrapping around the the block line in the inevitably in the heat. Uh, not that I want to dissuade anybody from going. It's, it's pretty cool, but uh, it is a lot of line standing and um, you know, they let fans come in and play upcoming stuff. Last year, Anthem was there and you know, lots of cool stuff. So we don't know what they'll have there. They are having the event. They're just not having the press conference. So John, I'm wondering, you know, I have been ringing the bell on this show a lot the last couple of years saying that um, it's not so much that E3 is dying. It's that companies are realizing they don't, they can disintermediate their message. They don't need us. They can do the Nintendo thing, which is talk directly a la the Nintendo direct to the audience. And why would you need to have an event where you bring people into a room and tell them the thing, just record it, make sure you like it. You don't have to worry about any live mishaps or things that are going wrong. Just deliver your message that way. I think that's kind of more the trend, but I'm curious what your take on this is. So it's interesting that this is happening in the age of, you know, YouTube channels and Twitch streams really, really uh, gaining steam and getting prevalence, you know. Um, so, you know, first you had Sony and now you have EA. Uh, I would not be surprised in the least bit uh, in a couple months to hear that, for example, like Ubisoft pulls out, you know, or not pulls out, but that, you know, it doesn't do like a big show where, you know, Eves comes out, you know, with Miyamoto and they're, you know, they're posing with, posing with their kingdom battle guns. Like, um, and yeah, and you very correctly noted, I mean, Nintendo has been doing this for years now, you know, like they have their 30 minute, you know, spotlight, and then they have a treehouse event that lasts literally the entire week. Um, and, uh, and there's some really interesting stuff that gets announced during the treehouse event. Um, I don't think that, I've seen a few people just uh, talk on social media this past week about whether or not this means EA is in some kind of trouble. And I don't think, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I just think it's, I think they're reading the room. 
Um, and I think that, you know, it's interesting that this is all happening after E3 opened the, opened the conference to the general public. Right. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if this increased focus on getting gamers and, you know, hands-on time with, you know, like, I, I wonder if that plays a role in this, you know, because I mean, we had a couple guys go to E3 last year, uh, as members of the press. And apparently it was, I mean, it was just slammed. Like there was, y- yeah. you couldn't breathe. And Part of me suspects that with you know opening up the floor to the general public definitely plays a role in this. I mean, you know, I mean, as you correctly stated, then you know the lines are huge, but at the same time, I mean, you know, increased. Yeah, that yeah, honestly, that, that I, I think that's probably the driving force. That that's just me though. I'm yeah. I'm by no means an expert. Well, Christian, I I'm looking over what we expect from EA, and it certainly seems Jedi Fallen Order would be enough to rest a press conference on alone it's it seems like they could make a lot of hay about that it's coming out this december one would expect it to be in a pretty showable state by that point by june um i can understand a a fan event because you get to have the next madden and the next fifa and the next nba and all the all the games that that are you know par for the course for ea to show and have hands on with but it seems like Je- Star Wars Jedi The Fallen Order, Respawn's big AAA Star Wars game that's coming out this December, would be something you'd want to make a little bit more hay out of and not just have a, you know, a streamer event. You know, they're going to have streamers and, and live casting and stuff like that during the week at EA Play. But I'm, I'm a little surprised just based on that. What, what do you think? It's interesting, right? Because I'm pulling up right now as we are recording this. Um, you know, you say, oh, you want to make some hay out of um, Jedi Fallen Order. And I think, yeah, I agree with that kind of generally. But th- no hay, no traditional hay was made of Apex Legends, right? Which is right. no hay. consistently one of the hayless. top. A hayless release. Hayless released. <laughs> Um, it was very much a modern style release, right? They brought in streamers in advance. Uh, apparently, there was some. There's been rumors that they expected a couple of leaks out of that, and that they were okay with that to drive up, you know, this kind of hype. And then the thing comes out, and it comes out, and it's ready, and here it is, and ready to go. Why spend we'll, money on hay when you know you've just proven you don't need hay? You don't need hay. It's for horses. You know, keep it, leave it for horses. Let uh, streamers have video games. Um, <laughs> just, I guess. I guess. I, I think that's a great point. I, you just proved that you don't need this stuff to well, yourself. <laughs> and I think Nintendo has been doing it like you uh, and John both mentioned. They've done it really well. And um, I'm, I'm curious how much of EA Play's week or weekend is going to be live streamed because they don't need a traditional press conference where they're sitting up there, you know, pounding their chests and saying this side or the other. And instead, it could be a mobile roaming. Hey, I'm down here at EA Play. We're checking out this Madden thing. Oh, Snoop Dogg's in the house. He's taking on Zach Efron. That was, you know, five years ago or whatever. But, you know, that there's a constant stream of content versus here is this big press conference where we're going to reveal things and, you know, blah, 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 blah. I think it, well, I, I can read you the exact press release. They sent me the press release. Uh, it says um, you are cordially not invited. <laughs> you are qu- well, we're still invited to go to EA play. It says this year you'll see less talk and more play. Oh, I hate talk. Talk is the worst, you guys. Show's over. We're done. The show is Every over. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, first hands-on with some of our biggest games, exclusive content from some of the most popular creators in the world. 
So yeah, but but I don't mean for you or for us going. I mean for the people at home that would otherwise right. watch the press conference. I'm wondering how EA is going to broadcast EA Play for consumers around the world. And I think there's a really fun dynamic way that doesn't need to have an hour, half hour press conference. Because I right. think while we're in this world of, you know, Nintendo Directs and snazzy trailers and pre-made things released to consumers, um, where we're going to get the first look at Jedi Fallen Order is at, um, is it Disney, uh, no, uh, yeah. Star Wars Expo, yeah. right? right? Right, And so that is the other example of this huge fan fest. And D23 is also another example where they, they get people together and they get, they have these fun stage shows and live speeches. And it's not necessarily big reveal, big reveal, big reveal, but it's this fun get together that hypes up your community and a lot and, and a D- Nintendo Direct will never have the same effect as getting a hundred to five thousand or whatever of your fans in a room together all hyped at the same time. Like that that the feeling of that is different than two million people watching a direct at home together, you know, like at the same time. There are, so I think we're gonna see those split. There's gonna be the the targeted messaging, and then there's going to be bigger fan get-togethers that are more celebrations and less, you know, upcoming, upcoming, trailer, exclusive. But it also means Andrea Renee, EA realized they couldn't do better, and she did the best job ever. Yeah, there's no point in doing it, it again. <laughs> she really yeah. did. You know, there are there are two things I'm certain of when it comes to EA and E3 this year. One, you're going to get that. That's where they're going to drop that Fallen Order release date for later this year. And uh, when they say here, we're going to have content creators streaming live from our creator's cave in the Hollywood Palladium, providing gameplay content to our players viewing online. You guys know that means there's going to be a massive Apex Legends tournament. That's true. That's, I think you're right. Yeah, that is that is 110. percent There's going to be some really high level play. It's good. There's going to be a big live crowd. They're going to broadcast it out of the world, and it's going to and it is going to crush. And there'll probably be some new map or, you know, some change, like debuting, yeah. like to get people hyped up. And yeah, that's a great example of like, they don't need a stage conference. It doesn't work well on stage, but they have some host and she introduces it. Like, here it is the first time ever the plasma drop or, you know, whatever. And then the Ozan best players B. in the 2. world. 0. Like, you know, yeah. there's, there's, there's going to be something crazy there. And what a 50 million players, what a game to be rolling into E3 with. I mean, yeah, yeah I guess you don't have anything. You don't need to re- announce things when the biggest thing going is the game that's already out. So yeah, you don't have to worry about. Yeah. Uh, here's the pertinent line uh, from the press release that I think, you know, sums it all up. It says we're skipping the press conference this year and replacing it with multiple live streams that will air during the first two days of the event, bringing you more of what you've told us you want more gameplay and insights from the teams making the games. So, that's my question to close out this topic. John, uh, it's, you know, change is never easy, but do you think that this version of E3 or the the press conference-less version of E3 might be better or do you mourn its passing? I think I'm of two minds on this. I really like press conferences because uh, on SDGC, like we we have this really fun, you know, we, we stream, you know, we live stream them all together. We're all there. We're having a few drinks. We're having a great time. We're commenting live. So that I'm going to miss that part. Um, but having said that, um, I think I think this is a really smart move for EA. Like, and here's the thing: everything right now, in my opinion, hinges on Apex Legends. If, if Apex Legends wasn't the unbelievable smash hit that it is i i would be less enthusiastic about it but 
just like you know, just like you guys were saying, they're going to drop some kind of new map during a tournament uh, at E three, and it is going to it's every, it's just going to it's going to blow up. It's going to be huge. I think this is a smart move for EA, and I think I think if they get a lot of track, I think if this works the way that that they want it to, you're you are going to see more publishers and developers moving forward mimic this. So E three next year is going to be really interesting to see if it happens at all, right? <laughs> yeah, who knows? I mean. Uh, Christian, I will ask you the same question, uh, press conference less. E- I mean, theoretically this, this really makes Microsoft sitting in the catbird seat cause they have the power to really kind of dominate Microsoft, Ubisoft, Bethesda, the, the sort of big press conferences that remain, uh, have much more, I think, potential to be impactful. Uh, but I, I will ask the same question. If all these press conference, the press conference style of E3, if it, if it really does go away, better or worse? Uh, two points. One, I think it's a, a, a little annoying is the best word I can think of. The way EA and some of these companies like keep backing out of E3 but keep trying to uh, utilize its halo effect. You know, like yeah. people are there to go to EA Play because they're also there to check out 100 other things. Um, so I'm sure that is annoying for the ESA <laughs> to well, deal with that. So- Sony is not doing that. Notably, they are not doing any kind of parallel event. There's nothing happening for them during yeah. the first week of June. And then my other to dire- directly answer your question, I think it's going to take a couple of iterations to see. I'm not accusing any streamer or any person in the press or any individual of this, but I think as we move further into this streaming influencer presentation or that's the way that information is disseminated out i i want to see better corporate and whether it's federal or whatever it is ideas on things like payola and sponsorships and when things are ads and when things are paid for and i think we're in a huge gray area with influencers and streamers and even some press uh i think traditionally most large press outlets kind of explain what they accept and what they don't accept and stuff like that. And much like the medical field in the eighties and nineties has now drastically changed in terms of being air quote bought and paid for by big pharma. I think we need to see something similar in the gaming space. Um, And so I'm curious to see how it shakes out uh, going forward with how these influencers and these gals and guys uh, are honest and transparent in their presentation. To me, that's going to be the key. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm old school enough that I will be really sad not to have that cool two days at the beginning of E3 where all of that stuff is just laid out in front of us of what the next year to two years of gaming is going to look like, where it's all just big, cool things and companies are competing to have a splashy reveal and make big... you know, I, that's what I grew into loving. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what E3 meant to me. I mean, I enjoyed attending the event for many, many years now and getting hands on with stuff. But for me, those first, not even, not even the first days of E3, the the days before E3 officially starts was really the fireworks. That was really the fun stuff. I mean, every year on this show, we would do a special episode just covering the press conferences, right? So it's um, it's a sad thing that that those fireworks are kind of going away, uh, and it remains to be seen how that's going to change. Uh, you know, the industry and how how E three as an event is going to change. But I'm not 
you know, I guess I'm a vestige of an, of an older era, sadly, but I'm not, I'm not super on board with just uh, show me streamers playing a game to let me know whether I like it or not. I, 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 you know, I I, I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Like I, like, I don't think Sony needs E3, like to be perfectly honest. I mean, they're, they're by, they're far and away running away with this generation. I mean, they've already run away with it. Um, But there's something there's just, there's just something magical about seeing that stage and seeing these big reveals and I mean this is what we've been used to uh you know in this industry for over a decade now I mean, I mean it's just you know this is this has been the norm for many 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 years and change is always difficult and it was inevitable and I do think the snowball is rolling now I, I think in a few years e three is gonna look massively different than it did you know did last year but man it's it, growing pains, man. So, like yeah. <laughs> growing up is hard. It really yeah. is. Well, I mean, we, we've sort of seen this with CES as well. You know, CES was like the place, and it's still a big, big event for it was, the tech. It industry. was biannual. You know, right, like, there was winter right. and summer, so it's yeah. But then you know, Apple said, "Well, we don't need to go there because yeah. we have all the eyeballs. So who? Can, why do we need to go to your event? We have our own." And then Samsung's like, yeah, 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 well, us too. And, you know, it's it's become a, a thing where all these tech companies do their own thing. And um, so things change. CES is still big deals. E3 potentially still could be a big deal. But it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Yeah. All right, Christian, what is your story of the week? It's about the future. Uh, the potential air quote leak of Google's project stream controller, which we should be hopefully getting the full reveal on here. Uh, what next week? Uh, very GDC, soon. Yeah. And this is the, it's like a rendering based off of a patent application that Google submitted for a device that allows notifications of, you know, when a game was available or when someone else is playing. And in that patent application, there were sketches for a controller that looks like very much a traditional controller. It's kind of, PlayStation-esque with um, the dual analogs not offset. What's equal in a line? Whatever. <laughs> symmetrical, yeah. Yeah, yeah symmetrical, symmetrical, yeah. Thank you. The, uh, the thing that you, you mentioned, but I want to just underline, is that the image that we've all seen floating around the web is somebody just took those sketches, those those patent application image, you know, uh, line drawings, and made a rendering. So... It is by no means official from Google. It is by no means what it's actually going to look like. It's just some person decided to take that and conceptualize it. So, Thank God for that because boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that. But it, it very well could be the thing. You know, it very well could be. But it's it's easy to take, just look, you know, gloss over the story and see the image and go, that's what it's going to look like. And we don't know that for sure, but it's an interesting jumping off point to talk talk about. Yeah, patent applications are hit and miss in terms of the the drawings that are associated with them. It often depends on the thing being patented and or the item uh, of the patent application. That part was pretty specific, but if it is something in something else, then it's just kind of a general. It can be a general drawing showing how this thing would be used. Or, um, for instance, folding screen patents were floating around before Samsung unveiled their first whatever it is, Galaxy Fold. And so it doesn't always mean exactly what it's going to look like. But on occasion, it's exactly what it's going to look like. And this Google, the the rendering, the 3D rendering that was created out of these specs, uh, out of these sketches, I think it it all depends on how it feels in the hand. To me, it looks like a mashup of the, what is it, the Nimbus Steel Series 
and a little bit more of a PlayStation controller. It looks a little flatter than I would hope something would would be. I like it to be a little more round or a little more robust in the hand. Maybe it looks like a little, like the the Apple remote is so flat and skinny. (laughs) I, I hate that thing. But I like that even in this initial sketch, it's, uh, dual analog quad triggers like it looks like a controller you know no one looks at this and it doesn't look like a, a wiimote or, or anything like that so that gets me excited for the project stream future which i know you're very excited for in general and we're gonna you know i think t-minus however many days until we hear now we'll skip it that week that. we'll just skip it yeah <laughs> uh, i mean i think i expect we'll hear pricing and structure of all that stuff which is really really free exciting. then the next week we've canceled it <laughs> <laughs> but theoretically this is worth talking about because theoretically this is the thing that you'll have that'll work with your chromebook or your phone or your whatever because it doesn't matter because you're just streaming it to any old dumb of device but this is the thing that makes it feel like a console so i feel like the controller here has probably even more weight, more uh, responsibility <laughs> to to the experience, more impact on the experience because it's what makes it a con- console, right? I think you'll be able to – my gut is you'll be able to use any PC controller, uh, kind of like Steam. My, that's my gut. My gut is anything and then they'll have Maybe. this. That's my gut. I, I would like that. I hope that's the case. That would be super cool if you could just plug in a you know an old – xbox 360 controller or whatever whatever you've got uh i would love that and maybe i mean i think we were playing the demo of project stream with a controller right, right? they didn't release yeah. their controller <laughs> yeah uh john you sounded like you were not impressed by this rendering so i i think it for me it goes beyond the it goes beyond the controller right um which, by the way, like I when I first saw the uh, so when I first saw the picture of the controller, I thought it was the actual thing. Like there was no context behind the picture, right? Somebody was just said, "Hey, look at this." Yeah. Welcome and, to you, the internet. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? My my first thought was, "Whoa!" Like, why are you sending me pictures of an edged weapon? Like, like what's happening? <laughs> like, like a batarang? <laughs> like, like, why is this? Is this your origin story? Is this what you're going to be throwing at criminals at night? Yeah. There's um, a Moon Knight movie happening. I'm, oh my god! Now I'm not getting that out of my head. But um. As far as like the so, you know, this industry traditionally is not very welcoming to new consoles from untested developers. Um, you know, Nintendo's been around since the beginning, uh, and then you you know, of course, you know, PlayStation has been around since uh, 1996, and it was Final Fantasy VII that really got the ball rolling for them, and then Ed, Halo got the ball rolling for Xbox. But uh, you know, traditionally, this industry can support three. And that's it, right? Like uh, you had the, you know, what, what was it? The the 3DO, the CDI Philips, uh, the Atari Jaguar. Um, all I these... bought way too many of the ones you just mentioned. But go <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had a I had a CDI Philips too, and and yeah, I I played I played one of the Zelda games, and I we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I mean, more recently, you have the Steam boxes. Uh, you know, Steam boxes were going to be the big thing. Right. And and we all see how that turned out. Um, I mean, it, it remains to be seen, you know, like I, I, this is all a conjecture, uh, you know, admittedly, but I don't think this industry can support more than more than three major consoles. I, I, after that, I, I think you start hitting set market saturation 
and things get spread too thin and, and something is going to get lost in the shuffle. Um, yeah. So but do you think this is actually a new console or is it a way to play PC games without having to upgrade your PC? So like, if it's that, then, then, and, and again, like I'm not a PC guy, but if, if it's the latter, then really what's the difference between this and a steam box? Um, well, you don't have to, I feel like this, we don't know any pricing, but I would guess this is a monthly fee that requires no upfront cost other than the computer you already have or phone or tablet. I don't so, think there's going to be a monthly fee. Do you guys uh, think, you think it's going to be an a la carte pricing Christian? I, I do. That's my gut. You do want you to guys, play it, play it right now. And then you can play an hour. They're like, Oh, you want to keep playing? Go ahead and pay us a little bit. That's my gut. I think maybe no you'll go to subscription, the but there's no charge for being able to stream it. It's just like, this is a way to sell you games. I think so. That's, that's my gut based off of absolutely nothing. What's be interesting. So, so do you guys think that this is going to be like a legit, like, you know, we had, you know, we're Google, here's our console and we have first party, you know, Google games. Um, do you guys think this is going to be, do you guys think this is going to be like an uncharted situation where we have games available on this console that aren't available anywhere else? Like first party yes. exclusive titles? Yes. Uh, but I don't think that will be the differentiator here. I don't think, I don't think it's by the Google streaming service because we have an uncharted. I think it's going to, I think the selling point, I think that's going to be gravy. And I think those games, those games aren't going to be uncharted. You know what I mean? Those games are going to be, I think more like your ashens <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but uh, the, I think the selling point is going to be play Assassin's Creed Odyssey on a computer uh, that looking good on a computer that shouldn't be able to, I think it's going to be play apex legends, play whatever it is you want to play, play the thing you want to play on anything and it uh-huh. doesn't matter and uh you know you get the big crazy triple a looking game but it you don't have to worry about having an upfront cost for a console or an upfront cost for a big booming pc it's just play it wherever you go on whatever you want all the time you know it's you know what's really interesting about this guys is we found we just now like you know all this all these rumors about the the Google console are breaking. And then just this past week, Sony says, well, you can now play PS4 games on any device. You can stream them to to, to your tablet. You can stream them to your mobile phone. Um, I, I've tried it. It isn't great, but it does work. And um, I, I find it I find it very interesting that, that this is happening now. Uh, so it makes me wonder if companies like Sony are going to start getting ahead of the curve. And it also makes me wonder what they know that we don't, you know, I'm, I'm sure they know more about this than we do, but, but uh, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that this thing is doomed right out of the gate. I'll, 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 I mean, we just don't know enough, but traditionally the, the industry isn't, is very unforgiving. Let's just say that. Yeah. And we shouldn't pass up the discussion. I mean, we kind of moved over to a discussion of uh, the service itself, but we shouldn't pass up, a discussion of the controller without noting it does have some interesting features based off of the patent. One of which is a microphone button. So you would assume mm. it has some sort of voice control or voice recording or something. Uh, if, it, if there's a dedicated button on the controller that looks like a microphone, um, which is pretty interesting. It's got uh, a, a pretty, I think prominent D pad, which I like D-pads, I think, have been de-emphasized so yeah. for too long. And uh, I'm kind of digging the fact that, at least based on 
this drawing and the render it's based on, uh, or the render that's based on it, uh, it uh, looks like the D-pad is pretty prominent. So I'm, I'm digging that. Um, I don't know. Like you said, John, it, it all depends on how it feels in your hand. But uh, uh, You know, you mentioned I, the voice. Oh, I'm sorry, Jeff, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I'm just saying I have high hopes. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, uh, you mentioned the the voice, uh, the possible uh, voice assistant compatibility with the microphone button. What do you guys think the odds are that this has some kind of connection or functionality with Google Home? I hope so. I think that's I, – I think Google should leverage all of that stuff and it should have Google Home built in. I mean if it has 100%. a de- yeah. dedicated voice or, or a dedicated microphone button, I should be able to – push that button and have Google home like functionality. That'd be awesome. I mean, now that you think about it, there are some really interesting possibilities at work here. Yeah. And again, we'll know more. Uh, this is all speculation at this point, but um, it's an interesting, interesting visual of what they might be dealing with. Can I also just right. say, I, I love the, I love, the, I love the color scheme of the controller. Sorry. I just wanted to point that out. I do. I really like the, the white with the multicolor around the D pad and the buttons. I just, it's really aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, if this is invented by the guy who rendered it, then this, they need to hire him because yeah. it's cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty styling it's using the Google, you know, that rainbow Google thing. It's cool. Uh, all right. So my story of the week, I, I mean, I think people would be disappointed in me if I didn't talk about VR Labo. I was hoping you'd say, <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> uh, so... There, you we said it. Another, Let's move on. <laughs> we, had another, we had another series of Nintendo announcements. This is for the next line of Labo, the cardboard construction sets that work with your Switch. And uh, we had heard rumblings for a while now that VR was coming to Switch. And I was getting a little excited about that. I hadn't put it in the show up to this point because it was super rumory and I wanted, didn't want to you know, get too excited. And now I'm very glad I didn't because this is what it was. <laughs> um, it's a card. It's, you know, Google cardboard. Speaking of Google, uh, was one of the first ways people were able to experience VR at home. This is sort of before the launch of Oculus Rift and the HTC Vive that, you know, Google came out with cardboard and it was super cheap. They were giving them away for free most of the time. And uh, they work with your smartphone and they give you a sort of a, a VR experience. So this feels like that uh, with the added thing of, you know, building it yourself like a Labo kit. And I'm a little disappointed because I feel like this is going to be a lot of people's first experience with VR and it's going to be crappy. And uh, that is the last thing VR needs is for people to have their you know, preconceived notions reinforced, or even if they don't have preconceived notions, have a bad experience their first time seeing something blurry or, you know, the, the switch is heavy, it's way heavier than a smartphone, which yeah. is already pretty heavy to put that on your face. The screens are not made for this. They are inevitably going to be blurry and look bad. Uh, it's a novelty. It's a goof for the, the labo, you know, it comes alongside a new blaster and a, uh, a new camera and a bird and a wind pedal. So it's sort of, you know, that's what it's in line with. It's not trying to be a cool piece of tech. It's just a, a goofy little novelty that you can build. And I fear that there's a significant segment of people that will have that as their first VR experience and think it's representative of what 
the best VR is. And, uh, I, you know, that makes me sad. So John, what do you think about this? <laughs> oh, so we, uh, <laughs> Oh man, we, we actually talked about this last week on, on super deformed games cast. Uh, we had a lengthy, lengthy discussion on, on labo VR. And uh, honestly, I think this has been sitting around at Nintendo for a while now. I think that they are disappointed in 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 the way Labo was received. I mean, I mean, how could they not be? Like, well, I we're we are a family of gamers here. Uh, we there are three switches in our household. Um, I I love my my Switch is by far one of my favorite consoles of all time. Um, and we bought the Labo kit last year. You know, we got the, we you know we had the robot, the cars. It was you. It was used by my nine year old once, and those pieces of cardboard sit in the same corner of my basement to this day under an inch of dust. Um, they were, they were forgotten about immediately. Um, the problem with this is for me anyway, I've already, I've, I have a PSVR headset, right? And I have played our VR Lord and savior Astro boy um, or Astrobot. If you have not played Astrobot, anybody listening, correct yourself immediately. Um, that will, that will sell you on VR. The labo, um, I mean, my son has played uh, Astrobot. Um, so, just looking—I mean, you know—just looking at the—I mean, the the price for the for the headset alone is what forty bucks. That's without all the Toycon uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Jeff, you 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 hit the nail on the head. It's going to look—it's going to look bad. It's going to look blurry. Um, I think Nintendo. I, you guys noticed there's there was no fanfare around this announcement at all, right? They just kind of kicked it out on what like on a Saturday night, I think. They were like, "Hey, by the way, uh, Labo VR April whatever. Here you go, enjoy." Um, this was not saved for direct. This was not saved for a you know for you know for E3. I think Nintendo knows exactly what to expect from this, which is not very much, and they kicked it out the door. And I I, I think this is the last Labo release you are ever going to see. Mm, I may be true. I may be true. We don't really have a sense of the the sales on these things, but it certainly had the you know Nintendo hasn't uh, hasn't been talking about it. They certainly doesn't seem to have caught on in any any strong sense. I think it's a cool idea. Just like I like paper craft. I like building things. Uh, you know, in in the abstract, I dig the idea, but it it certainly seems to be in this weird place where it's not a game. It's not an activity. It's, it. it People don't quite know what to do with. I mean, we don't even really know what to do with it, right? Like, we don't know. Like, I mean, the memes on Twitter have been great about people looking into the bird and the elephant. Like, those are <laughs> shout out to Jeff Grubb. Those are those have been fantastic. But, <laughs> but we, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but they they announced this, and we still do we even know what the compatibility? Like, are are you going to be able to play actual Nintendo Switch games in VR? Or I, I, I mean, would guess no. I would yeah. guess there's a there's a probably a very simplistic experience that comes with this set that, uh, you know, you'll have some sort of view master style. <laughs> You're in a yeah. place and there's something here and maybe it's Mario or something. Yeah. What if it's awesome? Like it could be so could much, be. so much negative stuff here. What if it's someone's first experience in VR and it's incredible and it gets their mind I racing did, about the things that they're going to build and do. Technically, like the, it's kind of impossible for it to be awesome. It, that's not true because all it needs to be is 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 fun and exciting for whoever uses it. Like right, I, but it, if you if see it, the, is, it, it is blurry and it you haven't it is, seen it, man. It's it it might be great. I know like what the screen requirements are for good VR, and I know what the Switch has. 
And it, it, will, it, it will definitely be heavy on your face. Uh, but it's uh, not meant to sit and play a game. This, oh, man. Right. There, there you go. Hey, you just did it. <laughs> if, if, no, I'm not disappointed in the product. I'm disappointed in this conversation. I think it's something that a kid If it gets, turns out to be cool, I will be the first one to eat my words. And but it's not it, made it is, for you. But the people for whom it is made, I am sad for. The, peop- the people for whom it is made ha- have less experience with this particular technology than I do and will make a judgment based on this instead of no, a, a the better tech, experience. The, the tech will keep getting better. There's a rumor that Apple's going to release an AR something this year, which is not neither here nor there per se. Um, but I saw that making the rounds on the Apple sites this week. It's not if it's someone's first experience, they're not going to then go. Well, never mind. I was going to go buy a thousand dollar gaming PC and four hundred dollar VR headset, but now I'm not going to. Oh, like, I think I, you're misrepresenting my position, and you're misrepresenting the the conversation. It, I'm not saying that someone's going to get this instead of a VR headset. I'm gonna, I'm saying they're like, man, I've been. I'm sure I've heard a lot of buzz about VR. Here's a way to try it. Oh, I don't understand why people even like this. It looks like. <sighs> Like, yeah, I don't. Poop, like, I think butthole. <laughs> I think people know the difference. I don't think someone looks at that and is like, "That's like uh, someone who's enjoyed Legoland." I don't think someone goes to Legoland and is like, "I don't understand the hype about Star Wars, the new Star Wars land at Disney." I just rode this Legoland ride with cobwebs on the things. I'm sure it's like that. Like, I'd be sympathetic t- to that argument if I didn't hear the exact thing from people who've tried Google Cardboard. I mean, the, that, that exact notion has been expressed to me from people who have only played Google Card or used Google Cardboard. They're like, and they said, I've done VR. I don't need to do the other type of VR. I don't need to do it, but I, I don't understand what the excitement is about. I think the other piece of the puzzle here is if it was just this thing that you could strap on your head and go, like, like even if it was like, you know, bad quality, you know, it's, okay, whatever. Like I spent 40 bucks on it. It took me five minutes to set it up. But putting together the, the the Labo cardboard stuff that takes time, and it is it is time consuming. It can be confusing. I mean, you're as a kid, you're gonna need an adult to help you. It took me like two hours to get the Labo stuff put together last year, and my son used it for two hours, and he was like, "That was cool, Dad. Thanks for the experience." And he didn't touch it again. And my fear is that you know, kids gonna be putting this together with his pops for two hours and then he's going to put it on and he's going to say, Oh, two, like all that for, for this. Like, Oh, okay. But that's exactly what happened with your son. And your son's not like, doesn't hate games. Doesn't want to play a racing game again, or doesn't think that's all fishing games can be. or That's what all robots can be. Oh no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But, 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 but he didn't care about, I mean, he's, he's just like me. He loves games, but he doesn't, but he he didn't care about, about Labo after that. Like he played with it for a little while and he was done. Sure. And And I I think that's a, a statement about the larger thing of, of Labo than anything else. My hope for this is that it is good for what it is. It is well-received. I look at this stuff kind of like STEM education. It's, it, you know, accessories, right? It hopefully sparks imagination and creativity in the people that use it. They build it. They want to explore more things. And it's, it's that's all it is. And that's all it has to be. And I, I don't think it's going to ruin, you know, VR for, for others. I think VR has done enough to ruin itself already among well, its that's missteps. My point. It's an uphill battle anyway to get people to even give it a shot. Having a, a crappy version of it out in the market is not helping. And it's a it's a bummer to me that Nintendo would do this. It's a it's a 
goof. It's a novelty. It's not taking the technology seriously. And it's, it bums me out uh, in the chat here. Jake Z 32 says I'm a VR snob. Uh, so I'm, I being me, Jeff is a VR snob. Maybe, uh, probably, uh, but also says uh, Google cardboard excited him enough to eventually try higher end VR. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, uh, maybe these kinds of things, it's like, Oh, this is crappy, but I bet it's better if it's better. Maybe. Uh, I certainly hope you're right, Christian, but I, I doubt it. I also don't think it's going to sell like gangbusters. Like John said, I don't think there's going to be, you know, a wide swath of people. It's like, Oh, Labo VR sells out the world over. Oh yeah. No, no, we're not. No. Okay. Fair enough. We've talked enough about this. No one cares. Um, (laughs) All right. Let's move on and talk about the games we've been playing. Cause we've got a lot of stuff to talk about there, but first let me thank our sponsor, Robin hood. Robin hood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, cryptos, all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to 10 bucks for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees. So you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started. So you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. You can view easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of DLC a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at dlcpodcast.robinhood.com. That's dlcpodcast.robinhood, R-O-B-I-N-H-O-O-D.com. It is time to talk Devil May Cry 5. We have all been playing it. It's the big release from Capcom this week. Uh, I'm excited to discuss this one with you guys. John, let's start with you. Uh, Devil May Cry fan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. From from the very first game. Uh, yeah. Longtime fan. And how was your? how did you feel about DMC, the, the most recent sort of I don't know if you want to call it a reboot, but it certainly was uh, a departure from the formula of Devil May Cry. I liked it. I understand why people didn't. Um, uh, but having said that, I, I think it had some of the punchiest combat in the entire series. Um, I don't think everything worked. Uh, I don't think the pla- I think the I think Devil May Cry is at, at its best when it's a straight line. Um, mm, and I feel yeah. yeah, and I, I feel like there was too much of an emphasis on exploration and platforming in DMC, which I I don't think. I think they were trying to shove something into that game that it just didn't want to do. Uh, right. But having said that, um, you know, the combat was great. I thought the, uh, you know, you know, the voice acting is really good. Uh, the visuals of course were spectacular. Um, so like, I, I'm glad we're back on mainstream, you know, mainline devil may cry. Um, but for what it was, I, th- I thought DMC was, was an interesting attempt at a, at a reboot. Yeah. Cool. So you went into devil may cry five excited and uh, did the game live up to your, Hopes and dreams. I finished it this morning, uh, my first nice. playthrough, and uh, it is my second favorite in the series behind Devil May Cry Three. Wow! 
is- I have to I have to agree with you. I adore Devil May Cry three. I, we reviewed it on the Totally Rad Show back in the day, and man, that game is so fun, and it holds up um, so well too. I haven't played it in years, but I I believe you. Uh, so second best in the series. That's high praise indeed. Um, why? What did you like about it? Um, I don't think combat has ever been better than it is here, uh, especially in the case of a character like Dante, who just, you know, has so many, I like, I, I won't spoil it for anybody who, who hasn't gotten there yet, but by the end of the game, uh, you know, the, the combat option options with Dante are almost kind of a double-edged sword, uh, no pun intended. Literally yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, because what, he's just so much fun and he has so many, he has so many options in combat. At the same time, when you play as Nero, Nero feels by comparison, a, a bit limited. Um, and, and I don't know, a bit one note. Um, but having said that, uh, you know, it's fast, it's punchy, um, visual. I mean, the, the RE engine, I swear guys is running off of some kind of dark sorcery is there's, there is, I mean, from Resident Evil seven to Resident Evil two remake to to Devil May Cry five, boy, oh boy, has Capcom really hit on something. Cause I mean, this, this engine does magic. I Um, think, you know how engines have, sort of um signature characteristics you, you think of the unreal engine and you think of sort of bulky gears of war style armored dudes and um i mean you did it? i think ue4 has changed that but yeah but i feel like they, it's it still feels like it's it's a chunky engine where it's like chunky stuff there's i feel like the resident evil engine the re engine the capcom uses its signature is teeth yeah. <laughs> it does teeth better than it. teeth. You notice the character's teeth. They're like the teeth have character to them. They have human teeth, middle of a demon's stomach teeth, uh, teeth. end of a sword teeth. I can, I can oh, tell you right now, Dante's had work done. He's had work done. It's clear. It's <laughs> yeah. clear. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I agree with you. It's, uh, it's cool that these games look as good as they look now. Um, I have to admit, I took a, I, I had a big pendulum swing on this one. It doesn't usually happen to me that my first impression changes, but I believe this game does not put its best foot forward. <laughs> uh, it took me, it took me a couple of hours to like this game. I am liking it quite a lot at this point, but you kind of hinted at it. I don't know how much of a spoiler it is to say there are multiple playable characters. So I, I don't think it's much of a spoiler because I mean you find out within the first couple of chapters, um, and we've yeah. already said it. So yeah, already that's said it. it <laughs> but yeah. but I mean I mean I mean I mean it's a Devil May Cry game. If you don't think you're playing as Nero or Dante, I mean come on, like yeah. you know. So um, you know you start as Nero, and uh, I was not loving the game. I it, I, it felt uh, clunky and. I, I it it was not clicking with me at all. I I couldn't help compare it to the recent God of War, which I think is superior on every level. The I agree. combat system is superior, graphics are superior, the storytelling is superior, the exploration is superior, the wait, world. Wait, 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 is wait, wait. Hold on, pause. So did you just say that you think the new God of War is superior to Devil May Cry? five in every way shape or form and you started with the combat system and then john you said you agree i agree is that where we are in this conversation (laughs) you think that the combat system in devil may cry is better than the one in god of war i'm genuinely surprised they're totally different it's like i think this is kind of like they're both third person action games but it's kind of like when we talked about toe jam and earl uh it's like a 10 out of 10 toe jam game like i think devil may cry and god of war now have 
you know, maybe started together, like their great, 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 great grandparents were the same. And then one moved to a different part of the country. And now they're, they're very different. I, I don't, I think for the type of action that devil may cry is, um, I think the only thing that maybe rivals it is Bayonetta two, which we can talk about later, but God of War's combat is so different. It's so well, different. I, I think you're, Clearly, they're different. I'm not saying they're the same game, but I, but it's like saying um, an apple is a diff- is different than an orange, you know, apples and oranges. But I can say one is a superior fruit. They're huh. both fruits. Both, they're both trying to do the same thing. They're they're both having a situation where you are trying to string together combos and create and, and have a style over substance. You're you're unlocking new moves as you level up. You're it's they're doing very similar things and i couldn't help but compare them i don't want to get too in the weeds about comparing those two particular games because there's no really reason to worry about that we can just talk about this game but i'm telling you my initial impression was like man this game just is 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 subpar to me in comparison to that game okay then i got to play as chris angel mind freak (laughs) <laughs> or as you, as you may know him, V. <laughs> oh, I always called him. Um, oh, now I'm. Dang it! Oh, come on, he's I lost the joke. What's the what's his name in Girls? Come on. Oh, Adam Driver. Adam Driver's character in Girls. Clearly, he's clearly Adam Driver. Uh, yes. If Adam and Driver was Chris Angel Mind Freak, <laughs> 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 he is. He's Chris Angel Mind Freak. Man, I gotta remember my girl's history because he gets his heart broken. I feel like he got his heart broken and he just stormed off into the underworld and came back and Devil May Cry. He got some tats and a cane. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, pain. Yeah. Anyway, uh, was he in DMC? Was, was he a playable character in that game? He was no. not. Okay. Good. I'm glad uh, that I get to shower praise on the fact that I've. Somebody's going to correct me because I'm sure I'm about to say something incorrect, but I don't remember ever playing a summoner class in a game like this. And I love it. I love it. The way that they pull off a third person combo based kinetic action game with a summoner class where you, where you're basically just there to, you know, have your cool familiars attack for you. I just Fell in love with the game as soon as I got to play as Chris Angel Mind Freak. Uh, also, I'm a big Chris Angel Mind Freak fan, so bonus for me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, and and that's not and the game gets even better from there. And I think you sort of fall in love with its weirdness and quirkiness, and it it goes over the top. I mean, uh, at the beginning, I was just like, it, you start in a sort of generic demony place. The the story starts off. It just it's poorly expressed. You know. Um, skanky Sarah Palin shows up in a van and you're like, what's going on with her? Uh, it's, it, you know, it's, it, <laughs> I don't think it puts its best foot forward, but I have fallen in love with it as I played it, which is a, a different kind of experience for me. I'm usually not, and don't usually have that big of a pendulum swing. So Christian, I know you have been loving it from the word go. Yeah. I think this game, puts an incredible foot forward I, I i love where it starts i love where the story starts the devil may cry stories have always been so silly and I, I think john hopefully you can back me up on this but it's such a perfect blend of like the grotesque and the absurd at the same time Absolutely. where it's like very scary demons but also like a fart joke or you know or, or, or something yeah, like that line early on 
where somebody says, uh, you don't know where that's been. And yeah. skanky Sarah Palin says her name in is your, her- in your butt. I mean, well, first of all, um, first of all, it's Nico. <laughs> Isn't that what I said? Nope. That's not what you said. Uh, second of all, this game out of the gate, man, it is, uh, pedal to the metal and i think starting you as nero is really cool especially i think the the plot the how they do it and i think the idea the way they you know he's slower he's a little bit of a slower character especially when dante compared to dante firing on all cylinders but if you look at some of the combos that people are doing with nero uh whoo <laughs> dude can hold his own and i think it's you know it's these games they always build to something and i'll include ninja gaiden black and bayonetta into this style of third person action combat where you're unlocking new moves so you you never you always want to start feeling powerful but you're not as fluid as you are later in the game and to me i think what kind of blew my mind about the comparison to god of war is i love god of war incredible game and i'm not trying to take anything away from it but it isn't i never felt like i was playing piano with my hands the way i do playing devil may cry or bayonetta or that type of game where it's after you've learned these combos you've committed to memory and you're up against a hard enemy or you're in a room with 15 demons and you're air juggling between them and grappling one close and then you know that there's a heavy down on the ground so you want to get to the ground faster so you grapple to them this time and it's just a a reign of terror and you're just every you're using every finger right every button on that controller was but i I don't i I understand the distinction i understand there's a and i'm sure devil may cry fans are already hating me but i i understand there's a distinction of a sort of uh order of magnitude but it's not it's not like it's a different sport it's it's the same sport and and i felt like that is exactly how i was playing god of war is is just stringing things together leaping from one dude throwing my thing grabbing my guy doing a thing it's uh it's i'm just surprised that you seem so surprised at my comparison that's yeah I, i guess i would call them cousins um that's all i call them cousins. very different but in the in the same bigger larger genre um and i I really liked how devil may cry started maybe a third of the way through the game right now i will agree with you that i think v is an incredible addition to the devil may cry series i love the way that you are the ai for his familiar seems so smart and on point which is i was a little nervous about before the game came out because when action does become so frenetic like how am i going to be sitting back reading a book (laughs) if my familiars aren't taking care of business the way i want them to especially because you're going for that s rank combo or you know scenario at at, at every turn when you can and i think at least so far they've been triple s triple s um, I think so far they've been great and the AI has been really smart and it does what I want it to do most of the time. Um, the game is gorgeous. The sound is incredible. Um, it's just, it's so, it's so much fun. I, I do miss witch time from Bayonetta, which as someone who played both Bayonetta one and two, and I'm currently halfway through a replay of Bayonetta two again on switch. I, I enjoy that the way it kind of prioritizes, dodging and you get a little bonus for executing a dodge at the right time and at least where i am and with my skill tree for my characters and devil may cry 5 i don't have anything like that yet um and then i think it's you know devil may cry has always been in my opinion the harder of the two series where it really does use every button and bayonetta kind of simplified that a little bit where you're not needing to use shoulder buttons and 
you know, back on an analog stick and a button in order to start a combo. <laughs> you know, at some point you might be pushing all of that, but to initiate most combos in Devil May Cry or combos that I think are kind of worth their salt, you're probably three or four button presses deep <laughs> to get you started. Um, well, I'll tell you what, the, the best feature this game has is the ability to completely remap button by button. Yes. It is you. a lifesaver because I, I'm playing on Xbox One and the default for lock-on is the right bumper. Yeah, it's R1 on PlayStation also. Which is, I don't know what kind of mutant would want that for their hand, but I, <laughs> after about 20 minutes of playing like that, I was like, I'm going to get Carpal Tunnel from this game. And thank God I went to the options. was like, oh, I'm putting that on the left trigger. And, oh, it just changed everything. It made the world much better. But you can, I mean... There's a lot of games that allow different control setups, but very few, too few, in my opinion, that aren't on PC, too few console games, allow you to just say whichever button you want to do the thing. And this game does, and it is a godsend. Within five minutes of playing it, literally, I'm, I'm playing on PS4, and within five minutes, I had I was like, I can't do melee on the triangle button. I'm sorry, I can't. I, I refuse to do this. And so I went to options, and I put it on square, and it felt so much more organic. Um, oh, it was so... I, but, if you guys don't mind, I'm going to diverge from you guys a little bit. And I'm going to say that I, I didn't like V like oh. at all. He was my least favorite part of the game, actually. Really? Interesting. Why is that? Because I, so like I'm a huge Dark Souls junkie, right? So I love challenge. I love challenge. And, you know, grinding out a triple S combo with Nero or Dante always just made me feel so good. I was like, oh my God, that was difficult. My palms were sweaty. My hands hurt, but I got it. I pulled it off. With with V, I was just pulling them off by mashing the triangle button over and over while, while I was hanging back. And I just, I didn't find any, enjo- like I didn't feel engaged. And I, fe- I felt detached from it. Like visually, it's really cool, especially due to the fact that his, his familiars are bosses from the first Double May Cry. Um, but... I, I felt like there was zero challenge in in all of his sections. And for, for whatever, it just completely took me out of the game. Mm, interesting. Wow. Um, I, th- I guess that's fair. I mean, I, I, I'm playing on the Demon Hunter difficulty level. Me too. And I do think that playing as V is a little easier in that I'm basically just running around avoiding hits while my guys do all the work. But I, I just find so much joy in that. I, I, I feel like, um, you know, giving them cool moves to do, buying new cool moves for my, for my Panther and my bird. Uh, and then you get to call in like an Uber demon that comes down. I, I'm just having such a blast. I generally like summoner classes in lots of games that have them. Uh, okay. So I think it's cool. I, I love having a little mini army of my own. Um, necromancer and and you know lots of you know um lots of games have you know hunters and and that let you have a a cool companion but having multiples of them is so rad and going back and forth between i don't know it just felt so different it was such a different thing to be doing in this kind of game because i've done the devil may cry thing many times there's been lots of these kinds of games where you're you know you're comboing together between ranged and melee but to do it with with summons i don't know i just thought it was just so cool and different but i i hear you on the difficulty thing because i feel like maybe maybe it was a little easier i don't know i I didn't that didn't register for me as being 
uh, something that stuck out. Bear in mind, though, I'm a difficulty snob, and and even my buddies on the podcast find it insufferable. So so please. <laughs> well, fair enough. Uh, I'm definitely not that. I don't like putting myself through. I mean, there were Christian and I had a conversation early on where I was, he, he, you know, I was like, well, maybe I should turn the difficulty down. But I've been sticking it out, and I've been enjoying the I've been enjoying the game uh, at the difficulty it is, and I love the fact that you can, um, you can uh, change it at any time. But I, I don't know how I feel about the running style points thing. I know it's a very Devil May Cry, but correct me if I'm wrong. And again, I I never I didn't play much of DMC, and so it's been a long time since I played a Devil May Cry game, but. Um, I don't remember them having a running tally the whole time. I felt like it was after a, a combat would complete that you would see your ranking and having the running meter constantly there, I find to be a little w- weird, a little, uh, a pressure that I don't particularly enjoy. I, you know what? That's an interesting question. I don't remember. I, I don't remember. If it, yeah. I, I have no idea. <laughs> I should know this, but I don't. I only remember Bayonetta because that's I've been playing them again. Bayonetta is similar to Devil May Cry 5 where each combat encounter or large combat encounter, at least you'll see your ranking. Then at the end of each level, then you'll get an, a ranking for that level. And that's very much how, how Devil May Cry 5 feels. Well, what 5 is doing is giving you this running meter that goes up and down as you're fighting multiple enemies. So you may be at an A right now, but if you don't attack anything long enough, it's going to degrade. Yeah. Down. Oh yeah. I got you. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And it's very yes. stressful. It's very, it is. I, I don't enjoy it <laughs> to be honest. But it, it, I, there was a few moments where, you know, like I was at that double S and it was, I start sinking down. I'm like, no, 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 no. And it's there's, no enemies. there's no enemies right now. What, what did I do wrong? Where I, I want to smack something to keep this going. Well, and, and there's but, nobody even around. Well, and what's super annoying, is that like you'll get that double S and you'll be like popping near the top and then an enemy spawns at the very other end of the arena and you've got to jog over there the whole time you're you know your meters depleting you're like no come on like yeah oh god the worst so another thing I don't understand about this game and you have completed it I have not uh, perhaps this becomes more clear to you but there and I guess I could have just looked this up but I'm going to use you as a reference anyway instead um I don't understand the online component. It's ask it asks me at several points to judge the style of another user, and I was like, "What am I basing that on?" I don't. Know. So, so uh, you don't really get any insight on that after clearing the game. Um, I noticed that too, and uh, you know, every you know, like, and they'll have different. I'm assuming you're judging those characters they were playing as because you know there'll be a picture of V or Nero or Dante, and it'll say, "Judge my style." And the first time it popped up, I was like who like who what what am i doing based on what but yeah like i i don't i didn't i didn't well and what's interesting and like it goes hand in hand have you guys seen as you're playing the game it'll say starring so and so yes and right and it'll throw out this username and i'm like who who is like there's no like and that i don't christian maybe you've had a different experience but i don't remember that being explained at all i believe and I could be wrong, but I believe it's the like the cameo system, and I think it kind of uses I don't know where it's pulling the data from, but it's like pull, pulling in the play of other players, and you can kind of see them from across the way at times. So when you interact with other characters, I, and I don't know, <clears throat> I have not looked this up. Um, I I don't know if it's similar to like um, 
and Forza like drive avatars or something like that. Um, or if you're actually, I think you can actually play co-op with somebody. And I, I believe it's based on those instances, like how cool did that look? But to be fair, I always just click stylish cause I'm a nice guy yeah, and I don't know why. And I don't even know what it does for them. Like, does it, you get a tell reward. Them? Yeah. If you get like 10, you get a thing or something like that. There's, I, I, know, actually, uh, I actually just looked it up guys. Oh, I guess we could have all just Googled. I just, well, I was like, talking. what you guys got to be curious. I was like, what is like, I'd never even bothered to to look at it before we had the conversation about it. It says, um, it says there were, they were, they will, some players will sometimes be paired with a random person online who can sometimes be spotted in a level and rarely be around to fight alongside the player in battle. Um, so uh, what's the point? Like if I can't, cause I've never seen any, anybody. Well, there's one fight in the early game where you're actually fighting, I was playing as V I think it's the level where you get to the first level, you get to choose which one of them you go in as V or, or Nero. And then at the end there, you're on that like crazy moving platform and uh, you're fighting the, the, the guy on the horse and his army. And uh, I was playing as V and Nero was there. Um, And I thought, well, maybe that was a person, but I had already given stylish points like four times before that and never seen another human being or another character. There are definitely other cameos before that. They're just far away. Yeah. I I think it's a little ridiculous. I remember seeing V like running off in the distance when I was playing as Nero at one point. Um, And I don't think that was like, I I don't remember seeing a single other player. So yeah, it's, it's confusing. And I just, like if I can't, I just rated everybody stylish because I'm a nice guy. Yeah. 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 It's fine. But like, it just seems like a very obtrusive, complicated thing to be. And I kept saying, you know, logging on. And I'm like, for what? But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just seems uh, unnecessary. Uh, but uh, there's a few other things that – little small things that I love. I love game. there are lots of games like this where you buy skills and buy combos and buy things. I'm not sure I remember another one that let you try before you buy. I love that this game does that. It's very cool that I can try out a combo in a, you know, in a neutral place and see if I like it before I invest my precious blood for it. Uh, I love, and, and this is a classic Devil May Cry thing, but I love how you get the currencies by shattering things in the world. It is never fails to be satisfying, satisfying yeah. to smash something and get something good out of it. Um, so th- I love finding you know, those red crystals or green crystals or white crystals and smashing them. Uh, and that sound and that the feeling of doing that is just very, very, very pleasurable to me. Um, so a lot of that is, is really great. I, I think the levels generally feel small and um, uh, not particularly great as far as level design for me. I remember indeed, uh, DM uh, Devil May Cry three, just think feeling like the levels were so wide open and and maybe it's just my memory of that game because it's been a long time. But um, these feel like m- mostly confined spaces, uh, at least as far as I've gotten, and um, small. You know, I, I feel like I'm getting to a boss very very quickly in each mission. Um, but you know, overall, I'm really enjoying the game and and liking it a lot. And it it, it does have a character. I, oh, another thing is. You know, especially with Nero, you get these replacement arms by the dozen. They're just yeah. like, you know, your 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 little lady is uh, making new ones at a rate that I just can't even keep up with. 
and very, I mean, for a game that lets you try before you buy all of your uh, upgrades, I had very little idea as to what those things did before I went into a mission with them. Uh, and, and that it w- felt like a missed opportunity because they were pretty cool, but they'd have descriptions like this has a hidden ability and makes your thing way better. And it's like, well, but what, how, why? Um, so, you know, some uneven messaging there. I think the game doesn't express its systems clearly. There's a, you know, a very prevalent tutorial messaging system through the early parts of the game, but even then I, I felt uncertain as to what I was supposed to be doing as far as, I mean, I still don't quite know what the exceed system does or why I want it uh, because the game doesn't really tell me a lot of that. But I, I, again, I'm enjoying the game. I tend to, I tend to agree with you. Um, I, I don't think the, I like the devil breaker system. It's not called the devil bringer this time. If I remember correctly, right. It's called the devil, yeah, devil breaker. Breakers, yeah. 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 Devil breaker. Um, I don't think it's explained. Well, I only figured out that you could like, hold down circle on ps4 anyway and and use up one of those things like near the end of the game I was like oh that's a thing i can do okay um i don't i i found it completely unnecessary like i just i never changed my loadout once because i was just like there's no need um and i agree with you on level design um that was one of the weaker points to the game for me you know it it, it all kind of felt rote a little rote after a while like oh here's the abandoned castle and oh here's the abandoned warehouse and oh here's the demon level and um it, it's everything you expect and i was i was waiting for the i was waiting for the game to mix it up a little bit and ultimately it didn't but having said that i think that this game is the very definition of much more than the sum of its parts. It, it, there, there are some things that I wish it did better. Um, but on a whole, I think this is a great ref- return to form for a franchise that I, I, I was concerned about. And interestingly, like there was some talk in the chat about this and God of War. God of War needed a reinvention. I don't think Devil May Cry does. I think Devil May Cry does exactly what it needs to do. And if we get Devil May Cry 6 and it does the exact same thing, only better, I am perfectly okay with that. I think it depends on how soon it comes after. I think the problem with God of War was Ascension was so close after 3 and it didn't quite live up to the standard set by 3. I mean, God of uh, Devil May Cry 4 was, what, 11 years ago? And they tried a reinvention with DMC. It just didn't click with fans. So now this is the warm blanket that we all wanted and done perfectly, you know? Um, and I, I know I haven't finished the game like you have, John, but I do feel like I might be the, we all like it, but I feel like I might be the brightest on it. Like, I feel like I don't necessarily, uh, unexpected is always fun. Don't get me wrong if it does it well, but I I love going to the church and the demon, like, that's why I'm playing this game. And I think what this brings to the table, first, my memory of three and four is the scale, maybe not in the openness of the levels, but with things just destroying and using that re engine that we talked about earlier in the show and how beautiful it looks. And you're in a warehouse or a church and the demon just bombs in and like it gets blown away. Now you're out in some desolate area, you know, battling hordes of demons and it's firing at all cylinders. It's running silky smooth. There's so much going on on screen. It all looks gorgeous. And I never feel like the frame rate affects my combos in any way, shape or form. Like, this is what I want this game to be. And I also, I think there's something really interesting going on with it. And was it Shadows Die Twice? No, not that game. There was a game, oh man, you're a skeleton and it was free to play. And then you could like buy levels or buy lives. Um, it's oh God, I know, I know what you're talking about. I just can't remember the name. 
yeah, the internet will help me. That? But yeah. what what I like about this, I think it's interesting. Well, because uh, there are some um, kerfuffle when the game first came out or when this feature was announced, and you can buy continues <laughs> you can use your your blood orbs or red orbs in game if you have them or the gold whatever it is if you've bought gold those orb, yeah um, and start man. right where you left off or Great. if you don't have any there's a prompt where it's like go to the playstation store and buy some and you can spend real money to instant revive right where you were full health full whatever and keep battling a boss um i have not done it yet I had, do not feel like the game's difficulty forces you to doing that. It doesn't feel like, uh, you know, it ramps up differently than other Devil May Cry's do or have. But I think there's something interesting in that idea of how Devil May Cry has always felt like an arcade game in the way it it, it quarters off rooms. You go into it and the barrier shows up and it's like you can't pass until you... I mean, I was just playing Punisher again on Genesis before this show and it's like you can't... The screen won't scroll until you beat all the guys and it's like go 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 and that's very much what devil may cry has always done and i think there's a fascinating world in which devil may cry is free to play or cheap to play and you're quartering up every time you die and of course all those uh coin op arcade games were brutally cheap and uh, turtles in the arcades and stuff like that to keep you pumping quarters in devil may cry 5 to be clear is not that but i think the idea of being able to spend money to keep going is an interesting one. And I think it's implementation in devil may cry five is, is done well. And then the last thing that before, I wanted to say, you, about, go ahead. Before you go on, I, I want to comment on that because I, I think the only reason it's done well is because the game is fairly generous with gold orbs without real money. Um, so I've used several gold orbs and I love it. I think it's a wonderful way to make the game not feel so frustrating. And, um, it's and I haven't spent any real money on them. I've only uh, I've only gotten them by finding them in the game. If the game was sort of a free to play, and the only monetization was to pay if you die, I think there is zero way to make that game that it doesn't feel cheap because any death immediately has the weight of they wanted me to die, so I'll pay them money. And that was and that was arcade games, exactly. But you know, I don't think that would fly today. I don't think that flies. Yeah, I, think I don't that- know. I don't know. I, I think there's an interesting world there that someone smarter than I will will maybe figure out. Um, Sector 7 in the chat, Let It Die, thank you, is the name of that game that we couldn't think of. There it is. Um, that kind of did that. And then you mentioned her earlier. Um, I really like the character of Nico um, and how she is kind of a, a character foil to everyone. <laughs> it seems like at least where I am in the game. Um, I do think Devil May Cry 5 has some, you know, some problematic areas in terms of how the various characters are dressed and how it treats certain characters. Um, I think it's better than some. It is not perfect. And my question, though, kind of my jokey question about of, I think, the way that the unfortunate way that Nico is dressed is what is the temperature in that van? Well, there's also a completely naked lady. There is. Yeah. No, so you know yes yeah. there's problematic yeah, uh, yes but i think it's like nero's in there in like a turtleneck two leather jackets <laughs> yeah. pants boots and nico is in there in a crop top and daisy dukes and they both seem comfortable you know like <laughs> i don't know man, dude you know nero is gonna be dying for a shower by the end like it's <laughs> that 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 van's gotta be so sweaty man oh 
Yeah. Uh, I, I do enjoy I there's never a time when I even if I don't really want any power-ups, there's never a time that I don't use a telephone cuz I enjoy the the bespoke animations of the van getting to you. Yeah. Uh, every time the fact that it's a, it's not canned, it's actually unique to that place and and in that level is cool. I always wonder how she gets the van out when she's done, but you know. Of course not. I mean that's the and the banter is it's it's so surreal, right? Like everything about it is just like a Goofball. joke on a joke. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that's uh Devil May Cry 5, a game all of us are enjoying at various in, in various amounts, but uh a, a game I think um exceeded my expectations certainly and and um Capcom, man, Capcom at the beginning of a year. <laughs> Who knows what else, you know, the rest of the year, but in the first 3 months of a year, Capcom brings it. Brings it. Well, then you've also got um, I mean, you got Monster Hunter World last year. I mean, talk about a comeback story. Monster Hunter World, uh, RE7, 7, yeah. RE2 remake. Uh, they are Mega Man uh, 11. Yeah, Mega Man 11. Fantastic. Sure. God, I love that game. So uh, Capcom, man, back in it, back on top. Um, all right, let's. Uh, I've got we got more games to talk about. Let me thank our second sponsor, which is Squarespace. Oh man, I've been talking about Squarespace for over a decade because I use it. I love it. I recommend it to my family and friends. If you have any reason to create a website, create a beautiful website. You can um, maybe turn a cool idea you have into a website, showcase your work. You can blog or publish content. You can even sell products and services using Squarespace. It's super easy. You just drag and drop, make a website. It's built-in storefront, built-in e-commerce functionality if you want to sell something. What you do is you start with a beautiful template created by world-class designers, and then you just make it your own. You just drag and drop stuff. It could not be easier. That's why I, I recommend it to my friends and family. It's because you don't need any programming experience. You just fiddle with it until you like it. And it's kind of fun to fiddle with it because their tools are so simple and intuitive. You just make it. It's, it, it's, it's the best. Plus, you can buy domains. You can choose from over 200 extensions. Did you guys know we had 200 extensions on the web? I did not. Um, they have analytics that help you grow your business in real time. They have built in search engine optimization, 24 seven award-winning customer support. If you ever run into any problems, make it yourself, make it yourself, create a website easily by yourself. Don't pay somebody to do it. You don't have to, you can try all of Squarespace tools without even giving them a credit card. There will be no automatic purchasing, no automatic charging of you until you decide to do it. But if you do, Go over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. Get yourself that free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code Jeff sent me to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. And the promo code Jeff sent me, all one word, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, when you check out for 10% off a website or domain. All right, let's talk uh, the rest of our playlist. I mean, uh, that's the game many of us have been playing. But I know, John, uh, you over at the Super Deformed Games cast, uh, you guys have been deep diving on the Final Fantasy games, right? We have actually. Um, uh, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, we we are doing a, a series of Final Fantasy retrospectives. Uh, me being a longtime Final Fantasy fan, uh, we've got a bunch of big Final Fantasy fans on SDGC as well. We are up to, we are about to drop episode nine, which of course, you know, is, we're talking about Final Fantasy nine. We're going to go all the way up through 15. 
which is the second best in the series. People can't stand it when I say that, but it's true. And um, then we are going to do all the offshoots like Final Fantasy Tactics, Tactics Advance, uh, you know, you know, Vagrant Story, uh, Revenant Wing, stuff like that. Um, and uh, I'm actually replaying Final Fantasy IX on Switch right now. Uh, and uh, I, I love Final Fantasy um, and uh, playing through nine. How was it on the Switch? How was that Switch port treating you? Not great. Um, oh, that's too good. It's it's not, not what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> it, like like so like here's the thing, right? Like it's it's whatever. Like it's you know it's it's Final Fantasy IX. It's great. Um, it's got some weird little bugs from the mobile version that weren't fixed. Like for example, it's on the Switch, and the name like whenever you recruit a new character and you want you know it says okay you can change the name. It still tells you there's no emoticons allowed. Like they didn't even bother changing that from the mobile version. Um, there's also there's some weird musical bugs where sometimes the music will shut off completely and you've got to restart the game. Uh, the the this is going to sound like a weird complaint, but the font is no longer that classic pixelated Final Fantasy font, but it's a very smooth, sterile mobile font, and it's just very unappealing. Um, having said that, it's you still get the core Final Fantasy IX experience, and that's what matters. Um, but uh, I was I was really hoping for a little more love uh, for this port, considering that it's it's one of the best Final Fantasy games, and it's just it's just not there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, oh man, like I, I have played every, every Final Fantasy game multiple times. And every time I do, I just, I've got a huge smile plastered on my face the entire time. I love the series, man. That's great. That's great. I is never one of the ones I, I played most of them, um, and finished several of them, but it, it was never one of the series that they really got its hooks into me. But, uh, people that love it, like yourself, love it. So. Oh my God. Yeah, Absolutely. So you, would you recommend Final Fantasy IX on Switch or you recommend people play it a different way? I would recommend playing it on Switch uh, simply because playing it docked – or I'm sorry, uh, not docked. Playing it undocked. Um, obviously, you know, the characters are high resolution, uh, which is great. But if, but there was no touch-up done to the backgrounds. So when you're playing it on a big screen, um, it makes the backgrounds look – objectively worse simply because you've got these high resolution characters running around on backgrounds that have been touched up at all. Um, so I, if you're going to play it, I would recommend getting it on switch and playing it uh, in handheld because it really does a lot to mitigate some of that. Um, cool. Yeah. That's my recommendation. Great. All right. Um, it was a big week for VR releases. So we're going to carve out a little VR talk time as well. <laughs> John, you mentioned a loving Astrobot Rescue Mission on PSVR. I know you have been playing that. Uh, we were evangelizing that as well all last year as on both of our top five games of the year lists, right, Christian? Yeah, it was a great game. Game. So, uh, did you want to talk a little bit about that, John? Astrobot is the truth. I'm going to talk about <laughs> that game is like, that was so like, like I, I got a PSVR uh, about maybe, Ooh, I want to say three months ago. And I, I had waited on it. Um, some, because I just, you know, I already play a ton of games and I was like, I don't need something else in my life right now, but I, I ended up grabbing one and it was bundled with uh, Astrobot, And I popped that in and wow, like that, like I, Astrobot completely sold me on the tech. Like I'm, I, I'm a hundred percent in on VR now. I'm, I'm sold. I'm in. I want it. I want more of it. 
Astrobot himself is just so pure and so wholesome and 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 it just a it just a, a really kind of dark depressing role that we live in right now like like I needed that I needed that wholesomeness I needed that kind of just bouncy sense of fun and lighthearted joy and Astrobot delivered it my son loves it um and uh yeah and that kind of you know Astrobot was kind of the catalyst for me to dip my toe into other VR games like Moss. If you guys haven't played Moss, uh, Moss is nice. Yeah. Oh my, oh, it's so good. And then I played Resident Evil 7 in VR and I think it actually like gave me, it literally gave me a heart palpitations. Like I still haven't quite recovered from that. Um, yeah, neither Christian nor I could could finish that game in VR. We we, we were uh, too scaredy pants. And uh, I finished know, not- it and, and I don't, I'm not ever going to play it that way again. It was too much. <laughs> just, just roll, man. But Oh, oh man, that that Astrobot! Like I'm dying for like that right there is the if if VR need like that if any system needed a killer app like Astrobot for VR is it? That is the killer app. That is the justification for that tech to exist right there. Totally agree, and that's why I was so excited when I heard rumblings that Nintendo was might be dipping their feet into VR because I thought, oh maybe maybe some folks at, at Nintendo played Astrobot and they're like, we got to get in on this. This is our jam. This is our jam. Uh, but you know, they decided to make cardboard version instead which is the shame um you imagine like a mario 3d world like in vr like like astrobot style like woof. i i mean i i've said numerous times in the show now that if if astrobot starred mario and was made by nintendo people would be like vr is the future it's here it's nintendo knows how to do it It, i mean it, it has the level of quality of a of a nintendo game in my opinion so um so a big week of VR releases, a couple of games that have been highly anticipated uh, by me and by many people uh, for a while now. Uh, I'll start with Autica, which is the new Harmonix VR game, rhythm game, a music game. Harmonix, of course, the people that made Rock Band and have done now four VR games. Uh, Rock Band VR is actually really good and too few people played it. It is real good. But um, Autica is uh, Autica would be a game that I would be doing backflips for if Beat Saber didn't exist because Beat Saber is so wonderful and another, I think, VR killer app. And DLC coming soon. DLC coming soon. Very good point. Uh, And Autica is basically Beat Saber with guns. Beat Saber, of course, you have lightsabers and you're slicing notes, not notes, you're slicing objects to the rhythm of music. It's addictive and wonderful and perfect. I mean, it, it just, you feel awesome slicing things with your lightsabers. Autica is a similar idea, but you've got laser pistols and you're shooting targets. In fact, if people remember a game I absolutely adore, but it's it's a little old now, so I I imagine some people don't remember it well, but for the uh, the original Nintendo DS, there was a series of games called Elite Beat Agents. Did you guys play Elite Beat Agents? Yeah, they're incredible. In the oh, yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Autica is basically Elite Beat Agents in VR. Uh, so if you remember in Elite Beat Agents, there were circles that would sort of start to close, and you had to tap the circle when it got to the right, you know, diameter. Um it would get to a you know a target diameter and you'd have to tap it at the right moment and then there'd be multiple circles happening and you go tap tap to, and it's to the beat right that's exactly what you do in autica there are circles that are closing and when they reach a certain point you have to shoot them with your blaster 
And then there are variations on that theme. So there's sometimes when you have to hold the trigger on your blaster down and you create a, a constant stream of laser. There are times when you have to sort of spray it along a line, you know, in a specific pattern along a line. There are times when you have to turn your gun sideways, you know, 90s gangster movie style. Um, and so various things you have to do, but it's basically elite beat agents in VR. And that's super cool. It's just not as cool as using a lightsaber. <laughs> there's something physical and awesome about using the lightsaber because you end up basically drumming to the beat with your whole body. I mean, you're using what amounts to giant drumsticks, giant glowing laser drumsticks to drum to the beat. And there's something so physical and pure about that when you're playing these big, you know, four on the floor house beats and you're just like, you know, your whole body is into slicing and, drumming so that is it just it just feels really good to do that and it does feel good to be like pop 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 to the beat to the beat to the beat pop pop you know with the guns it's an audio show but i was doing all of that i hope you guys all visualize that i was doing it I um, the whole time man uh it, but it's just not as good right it's it's it seems like a step down from a game that's already available. Uh, if this was the first one and then Beat Saber came, came out, I would be like, oh, this game's amazing. And then Beat Saber would be like, oh my God, they outdid Autica. But as it is, it just, it seems like a little bit of a step back. Also, the music isn't great. The music is not great. And I'm surprised because Harmonix is the music people. And these are all electronic, you know, EDM music. Uh, and I love EDM. I'm, I dig it, especially for these kinds of games. I think it's perfect. There's just too few of the songs that were catchy, that were fun. And I really feel like Beat Saber did such a good job of launching with a bunch of artists and songs I was not aware of, but that I fell in love with by playing. And this game, not so much. There's a few cool ones. There's like a Donna Summer remix that's really cool. But hey, the music isn't great. So... I think Autica is cool. It's just not as cool as Beat Saber, and that's a bit of a bummer. Okay, so I told you about that game to tell you about this game. Another game that came out this week, it is much delayed. It was supposed to be out a month ago. Uh, and guys, I have glimpsed the future. I have glimpsed the future of role-playing games, and it's called Shadow Legend. Uh, Shadow Legend is a full sort of Skyrim-style role-playing game, first-person role-playing game built for VR and it is clunky and it is not super beautiful to look at. And it is got some problems. It, it is rough around the edges, but it is a hint at what the future is going to be like when VR hits its stride and we are playing role-playing games in VR. Because as much as I love what they did with Skyrim VR and Fallout VR retrofitting those games into a VR experience. I think they're very effective and very cool. And it's amazing to be inside those giant Bethesda worlds in VR. Shadow Legend shows what we're going to be able to do when VR interactions are the first design step, are what these role-playing game makers are thinking about first. Because everything you do in Shadow Legend, you do. There's no button press to accomplish anything. You do stuff. You want to 
make a short a sword better. You want to do some blacksmithing and make a sword better. Well, you walk over, you pick up the sword, and you walk over to the sharpener, and you turn the crank, which turns the sharpening wheel, and you put the sword against the wheel, and it sharpens the sword. It, you see sparks shooting off of it. You're holding the sword against the wheel as as you turn the crank. You want to craft something in the kiln. You walk over, you pick up the tongs, you take a piece of coal, you put it in the kiln, you heat it up, you you put it in it in water to cool it down, you put it in a press and press it into an iron ingot. You're doing everything. You walk up to a horse in Shadow Legend, you pet the horse, you can pick up a carrot and feed the horse a carrot and the horse likes you and you're physically doing it. You're physically doing it. You've got bows and arrows to shoot, you've got uh, swords and shields to swing um, and the combat system is actually pretty darn cool. You end up getting into these one-on-one combats with enemies and you have to block and parry them and it sort of slows things down. It gets to slow motion and you parry something and then you can ultimately like chop their ar- these demons and skeletons and stuff. You can chop their arms off and then you ultimately like chop their head off. It's very cool. It's almost like um, Fruit Ninja or something, but on a, a little more subtle scale. But the coolest feature, everybody, and again, there's a lot. There's lots going on in this game. There's traversal where you're, you're trying to find runes that uh, you can buy power ups, uh, and they'll be hidden around the level. And uh, you know, there's a game called The Climb, which is uh, a VR game that sort of invented climbing mechanic where you would grip surfaces and pull yourself up and climb. Very cool game, but it's just a pure climbing game. And then Robinson the Journey took that climbing mechanic from the climb and built actually an adventure game around it. Well, Shadow Legend takes the same mechanics from the climb and puts it in the context of a role-playing game where you can climb ladder. That's how you climb a ladder is you physically climb and you're trying to explore. You see a rune over there so you can kind of shimmy across a, a ledge and you're climbing and you reach out and grab it. Lots of stuff going on in this game. But the coolest feature is one that I have been begging for and clamoring for since the original Connect came out. I think this is the first game that's done it. It's certainly the first game that I've played that's done it. And that is when you talk to an NPC, you can talk to the NPC. You can use speech recognition to have a dialogue with the NPC. That's cool. It's super cool. Now, it's not just recognizing anything you say. You speak a script, right? You have – they say something to you and then you have a couple of different dialogue responses you can do and you read it back to them. So you're speaking a script. So I can imagine some people listening might think that sounds a little silly. I really dig it. I think it's super immersive and interesting. And as somebody that's a voiceover actor and an actor and likes speaking lines in general, it really sort of scratches my itches. But I also think it's it's an awesome way to interact with the game. The downside is you end up sort of reading everything twice because you read them to determine which one you're going to say, and then you say it out loud. So that might feel a little clunky to some, but for me, I I was loving it. Walking up to an NPC, having them say something to me, and then me saying it back to them to make the decision on which way I wanted to go. It was awesome. 
And I want that to be the future. I want that to be the way we interact with these games. Again, this game, I think made by a pretty small team, uh, limited in lots of ways, little clunky in lots of ways, not going to be uh, not super ready for prime time, right? It's not going to be, um, it's not going to stand shoulder to shoulder with a Skyrim or something like that. It's a, it's a, by the very nature of what it is, it's a less accomplished work, but it's got tons of ideas. It's jam packed with ideas. It's fun. It's, it's, it really feels like a hint at where VR will be someday. Well, that's interesting, man, because I mean, like, you know, this is a start, like, like everything's, everything starts small, like so, everything's got to start somewhere. And it, what, what's really cool about this is that somebody is actually putting their, putting their front foot out there and saying, okay, we're going to try something that's never been done before. Now it may not be perfect the first time around, but we're going to pioneer it. Um, and I agree with you. I think, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that there's so much untapped potential for that sort of game. Yeah, you know, in other games in, in a VR setting, you know, and like and just imagining what you can do with not just motion controls, but voice, you know, voice commands as well. Like, you know, and I, I believe within five years we'll be having conversations with characters in game. You know, like yeah. like, like actually enough this stuff. And yeah, I mean I'm I'm having a conversation with my Amazon Echo and my Google Home and why not? Why why what's stopping them from putting that tech into a game? Nothing. Nothing. And and and, and honest well, and that's a great point too, Jeff. Like we're already doing it in our in our lives, in our homes. Um, you know, we're already doing I mean, I could do text to speech on my phone right now if I wanted to. Uh, right. so so what's the difference between doing that and, and doing it in a game? Um I think it's I think it's I think it's really cool. It's awesome. I mean, I, I love it. As I said, in the, in the context of this game, it, it can be a little clunky, but this is a first stab and it's just a hint at where we're headed. And, and I'm, I, I love it for that. I love it. I love this game for how ambitious it is. Uh, um, in the, uh, in the chat, uh, somebody asked about um, which developer is on this game. It's uh, Vitruvius VR. And that's, um, the team that did uh, Mervels, uh, which is a game I played too. Uh, not, you know, not an amazing game, a uh, platformer game, but this, this feels like a whole level of ambition uh, grander. And, you know, they achieve it at some points. It, it, there's a moment where you start the game and you kind of walk out into this castle square and there are uh, knights who are, you know, having a duel in front of you and the snow is falling and it, you feel a bit like you're in Winterfell, you know, it, it, it is, it, they are getting there. We're getting there. And, and it makes me so excited for the future. Yeah, that's awesome. Christian, what do you think about this, man? Not for me. I mean, I excited about the say, future, but what? You don't, you don't want to say the lines out loud. Is that, that what you're saying? Well, I think that part sounds cool. I mean, I think the early version of it is going to be like, I do not understand. Like I, I just have flashbacks to King's quest and police quest where it's like, do this. I don't understand that. Do this. I don't understand that. Do this. I don't understand that. But I do think like AI, I mean, the scary side of it is I don't want to think about the scary side of it, but the fun game side of it is yeah. Like adaptive learning AI that's able to understand and communicate us with, with us in our game sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Um, but the let me, idea, let me be clear. Let me be clear before you go on. Let me just be clear. I, I may have been um, misleading in, the, in what I said. There's no point at which a, a character will tell you they don't understand you. What, what's happened? What happens is the text will kind of be floating beneath them, just like in any video game, where like what you 
your response will be underneath them in the in the dialogue options, right? And you start saying the dialogue option you want, and it highlights the words as you say them. So it hears you say those words, and it's sort of like a uh, like a karaoke machine. Right, which I think is a great, instead of like needing to click on it, I think it's a great right. solve for VR text selection. Um, and then like the doing things, I understand how that makes it more immersive, but I I, I don't want to crank a crank. <laughs> um, I don't want to forge and kiln weapons and stuff like that. So that aspect of it doesn't seem appealing to me. I like getting lost in the world, but not getting lost and having blisters on my hands because I've made swords. I'm exaggerating, but you know, hopefully you get the idea. Yeah. I mean, I certainly abstraction is part of the appeal of a video game is I don't have the ability to climb a mount, you know, climb a, a building, but I can push a button and Nathan Drake will climb that building. Uh, but I do think there is a dream of the, you know, the holodeck or Westworld, where you are inside an experience where you're actually doing the thing that you've only read about in books or seen in movies. Like you're actually, there is something compelling about actually doing stuff that you can't actually do in real life. And, and you're doing it. You're not just abstracting it and pushing a button to do it. You're actually feeling the physicality of what it's like. There's something very pleasurable about that. And um, I don't know. I think, I think maybe you're discounting that part of it. We just disagree. I think you think that, and I don't think that's necessarily the case yet. (laughs) It might be, but where VR currently is, I, 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 I don't think that, but it doesn't mean that you're wrong for, for thinking it does increase your enjoyment for it. It just doesn't do it for me. I think that yeah. I think that this is the natural evolution of things, and I, I I think it's going to be I think it's going to go two different ways. I don't think we're ever going to lose that sit down in front of your couch, pick up a controller, and play experience. But we're all but like since time immemorial, I mean since since the inception of video games, like you know what has separated this from something like a book or a movie is that we have always been active you know, or like we have always been active participants as opposed to passive observers, right? And I feel like with VR this is just a natural evolution of that. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that we're, I think this tech is decades away to be honest with you, but Not really, uh, but yeah, like I, well, well I, I, at least a decade. I mean, I, I mean, because there are, I mean, right now we just, there are too many limitations right now. Um, and I also, I think there's a lot of skepticism and also price barriers that have to be overcome. Um, but having said that, I think, I think that's the way we're headed. And I believe that these two styles of play can coexist and and move forward together on a on a on a path side by side. Um, I agree. I don't think. I, don't, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think one is going to usurp the other. You know what I mean? I don't know. I tried VR on my uh, friend's Switch and it was not good. So I think I, I think it's dead in the water. I don't. Think... <laughs> I looked inside a bird's rear end and it was fine. <laughs> You know, but I don't I don't want to actually put my head in a bird's bottom. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, unless you're a veterinarian and, and which in that case, you know, that might be helpful. But maybe that's what this uh, switch VR thing is, is veterinarian stimulator. <laughs> we only have one type of animal that comes into this vet, and it's birds. <laughs> and they only have one kind of problem. And it's. It's in their poopy butt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, 
let's wrap the show up. We do have bonus content coming up. As I said, I had that conversation with Kelly Wallach, and we do have our parting gifts, so stick around for that. But John Phipps, thank you so much for being here, sir. Oh, no, dude. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, this, the, this, this was great. I've been a longtime fan, so this was, this was fantastic. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, tell people where they can keep up with you, your podcast, and all your goings on. Please, yeah, sure. Um, so you can catch us live uh, every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, uh, on, tw- on Twitch, we're uh, official SDGC. Uh, I would also ask that you please go follow us on Twitter at official SDGC. And of course, if, if you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can see my Twitter handle right there on the screen, uh, Mr. Megative with an M. Uh, we're going to have a big PAX East presence this year. This is our, actually our first time going as members of the press. Uh, so, yeah, big deal. And this is going to be the first time that some of us have ever met in person. Uh, we've been doing oh, this for, wow. for four years. Yeah. And this is going to be the first time some of us have ever met. So it's a big, big PAX for us. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can catch me on uh, – I'm also featured on Polygon and gamesindustry.biz. I was on Kind of Funny Games last year with Greg Miller, and we've got another one of our uh, panel members, Rebecca Valentine, who is going to be uh, co-hosting Kind of Funny Games with Greg Miller at GDC on March 20th. So please look forward to that. And uh, yeah, come yeah, uh, come on by on Twitch and uh, throw us a follow. We'd appreciate that. If it's anything like my experience meeting people who have never met me in person, it'll be uh, – I thought you were taller. <laughs> there's a well especially like we i've met one of them and he's freakishly tall and i wasn't and i'm six foot one so i was not prepared for it i was like oh man like oh i thought i was a big guy cheese <laughs> christian spicer what do you got going on this week well i'm going to tease something for next week it's not this week's bonus episode but i recorded it already and i talked to uh he's worked on resident evil 2 and devil may cry cody matthew johnson is a composer on the game and it was an awesome conversation so i know we talked devil may cry this episode the game itself so i wanted to plant that seed um as well for next week's episode you'll have bonus like some content. sort of demon seed that would grow into some sort of like demon root thing that it needs to be destroyed, is what I'm saying. It needs to be destroyed. Uh, so that's next week's next week's show. And then Twitter it always works at Spicer, and I stream this show typically Sundays at 7:15 Pacific on my Twitch, which is Twitch.tv/slash Christian Spicer. Jeff, what about you? Although we may have to change that when uh, Game of Thrones comes back in just a few weeks. You keep saying that, but we you've never done it yet. Like there's been multiple no, seasons. This is the season. This is the season where we can't. We can't mess around. We will we will be able to get no guests who will give up their Sunday evenings. I'll us. do it. Yeah, that's what I said. No guests. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, spelled with two N's and one T. I have another podcast all about movies and TV shows called the Slash Filmcast. You can find that at slashfilmcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts we just did a captain marvel review which you should listen to it is a delight we had a guest uh, joanna robinson was on she is one of my favorite people and um we had so much fun talking about captain marvel so that episode is actually already out we we released it early uh, usually it would come out um tuesdays but we released it early we used it last friday because we'd all seen the movie early so uh go check that out if this is it's your first time if you've never listened to the slash filmcast that would be the one to start with. It's great. Um, also, we take your emails here. We love hearing from you. DLCfeedback at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Quick questions are always welcomed. That's the place. DLCfeedback at gmail.com. 
All right, let's wrap the show up now with parting gifts. John, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. Um, I'm going to tell everybody, if you haven't seen it, go on Netflix and watch a movie called The Void. Mm. I Now, this may not help you get you through the week, but I'm a huge fan of horror, especially 80s horror. And The Void is a Netflix film uh, that is it basically it looks, sounds and feels like, uh, you know, 80s B-horror schlock. It is fantastic. Um, it, it's got, you know, it's very tentacly and very, you know, very eighties. It's just, oh, it's so good. And, um, there's like a lot of, you know, just cosmic horror stuff going on, uh, involving, you know, cults and monsters and go check it out. It, you pop a bowl of popcorn, sit down and turn the lights off and watch that. And then thank me later. Cool. The void on Netflix, Christian Spicer, what do you got for a parting gift? Captain Marvel. I mean, it's it's doing well, but you got to go see it. It's such an incredible film. Brie Larson is so charming and just she's great. She's the best. She's knocks, great in everything. Yeah, yeah, she absolutely knocks it out of the park. Um, her, her, the way she delivers her dialogue is great. Just her looks and even when she's silent is incredible. Um, I fear that in by next year we won't need real actors anymore because Samuel L. Jackson will still be in everything at whatever age you need him to be. Um, Although when he ran, he runs a few times in the movie. You're like, oh, he is 70. But that's, that's, that's what I meant by next year. By, yeah, by next yeah. year. Uh, man, it's scary. But the movie is phenomenal. I, I I loved it from start to finish. It's so good, and I think it works so well on the big screen too. So if you haven't, you're on the fence, uh, go see Captain Marvel. I can't recommend it enough. And it works well if you haven't, you don't have to have seen every single um, Marvel movie up to date. It works really well as your first entry into Marvel movies as well, I think. Yeah, great movie. Very fun. Um, we have a listener suggested parting gift. This comes to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This one comes from John. He says, hi, guys. Thanks for making the best, most positive gaming podcast out there. Oh, thanks, John. He says, I'm an Englishman now living in France, and this change of country has influenced my parting gift, which is cheese. <laughs> he says, if, like me, you were stuck in a rut of buying classic supermarket cheeses, why not find a cheesemonger and step out of your dairy comfort zone? May I recommend some fine Comte? How do you pronounce that, guys? Comte? 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 I don't know. You're the one that uh, dove into this email. <laughs> my fault. Uh, a creamy camembert, camembert. or oh, a nice, talking. yeah, uh, or a nice dry goat cheese. Delicious. Oh, and if I could please ask for Jeff to sing the story of the week jingle as Donald Duck, my life would be complete. Thanks a bunch. Uh, thank you for that, John. I will do that, but I'm not going to subject everyone to it. I will put it at the very end of the show. So it'll be after our bonus content, but I will sing the story of the wing jingle as Donald Duck. I hear a new jingle coming. <laughs> uh, I mean, as generic duck, who's not an IP of yeah, some other. Yeah. Uh -huh. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. Uh, anyway, thank you again. If you want your, uh, parting gift on the show, DLC feedback at gmail.com. I love cheese. I love cheese. I'm going to learn how to pronounce Comte and I'm going to have a comment there. 
All right. Uh, my parting gift is a, a show my wife and I have started watching on the Netflix. I think it's been around longer than it was on Netflix, but Netflix kind of promoted it and it's on Netflix now. So we started watching it and it's called Working Moms uh, with Catherine Reitman. Uh, I was kind of friendly with Catherine Reitman for, for a while, a few years ago. She would help me out with my Kickstarter and I was on her show. And so, um, you know, take with this with a grain of salt, but uh, I think the show is delightful and she is the writer, director, star uh, and it is very much in the wheelhouse of things my wife and I are actually dealing with on a daily basis right now. It's, you know, trying to be a, a parent to a young children, which is um, a special kind of difficult, you know? Um, it's a, it's funny and fun and uh, honest, which is the best thing you can say about stuff like that. So Working Moms on Netflix, I recommend it, especially if you're a parent. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC, although we do have bonus content, so stick around for that. Uh, thanks again to John Phipps and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those cool bumpers. Thanks to the folks in our chat room for hanging out with all of us in real time. We appreciate you guys being with us on Sunday evenings and uh, you know contributing to the show in real time. It's awesome. Also, thank you to you if you downloaded the show. We appreciate it. Maybe give us a review or recommend us to a friend. Even better. We appreciate that too. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. I'm so excited to welcome back to the show once again, the overlord of the Indie Mega Booth and chairperson for IGF, our friend, Kelly Wallach. Kelly, welcome back to our, what has become our yearly tradition of checking in right before GDC. I know. This is great. What is this, like year three? Yeah, at least. Yeah, at least. I I'm, I find it delightful to check in with you, and I'm so glad that it has become uh, our little our little tradition that we get to do every year. Yeah, um, same here. It, it's an exciting time. GDC is one of my favorite things to attend. I'm excited. I'll be going this week and, and uh, experiencing all the fun that is GDC. But I, I think what I like most about GDC is that it, it feels a little less crazy and hectic, uh, at least for me, probably for you, it's way more crazy and hectic. <laughs> but it also, um, I think, puts the focus on the games that you are dealing with a lot. These independent games, uh, these smaller games that often can get lost in the shuffle at bigger conventions that are all about PR and announcements and AAA and stuff. And and oftentimes these games, for me, are the most exciting, the most compelling, and are really uh, harbingers of where the industry is headed because they're pushing the envelope in all sorts of cool ways. Yeah. I mean, one of the great things about GDC is that it, because it's like a industry focused event, um, you know, there's a lot of like really interesting content, I think in games that get shown there because it's kind of like showing off content to other developers. So it's, it's like for people who really understand design and really understand how games are made and really understand the, the art and the aesthetic of, of that kind of work. And so when, especially like when we're curating something like our showcase at GDC, we get to keep that kind of stuff in mind and we get to show what we think will be exciting to people who are like really in the weeds on it. Um, and like you said, there's not like a ton of like big announcements and all this sort of stuff, but it's like kind of where everybody starts showing their friends like, Hey, look what I've been working on. <laughs> yeah. And it's so cool. And, and I guess, I guess I, uh, I jumped ahead a little bit. We should probably, for people that might not be familiar uh, or haven't heard us in past years talk about this, we should just, I should backtrack a bit and say, um, the Indie Mega Booth is, the, as you said, a curated place where you and your team 
uh, highlight a bunch of really exciting, cool, independent games. And can you kind of just give me a broad strokes of, of what goes into that curation? How, how do you find the games? How do you decide which will be part of the show? Yeah. So, um, and to give a little bit more context, so we do a, a handful of showcases throughout the year. Um, I guess probably our first one of the year is GDC, uh, which is a bit smaller compared to our other showcases, but when it's smaller, you know, like 24 games, <laughs> which yeah, is still a lot yeah. of games. Uh, and then we do more consumer facing events, um, like PAX East and PAX West primarily. Um, I, I can't really talk about it now and I so wish I could because we're going to announce it like really soon. Um, but we're going to be doing something over the summer, which is like super exciting as well too. Um, Ooh. yeah, I know. Uh, but they're <laughs> primarily, uh, like very large and consumer facing. And so the GDC showcase, when we do our curation for it, we're actually, um, we're kind of picking out of a really large submission pool for stuff that comes in for like our spring showcases. And so we open up submissions twice a year. Um, if you want to follow us um, on Twitter, Facebook, you know, Instagram, all that stuff, we're just at Indie Mega Booth on everything. Um, we also have a mailing list that you can sign up for, um, and you can sign up on the website for that, where we'll send out notifications like, "Hey, we're going to open up submissions." Like, "Hey, we're going to be at this show," you know. So if you're interested in making games or you're working on something and you you want to submit it, you know, that's the way that you can find out information about how to participate in a showcase. Um, so we open up the submissions and then. Yeah, we have a group of people and some judges who volunteer and we play through hundreds of games um, and we pick out what we think is going to be the best games to show at certain events. Um, and not only that, but we also do a lot of research on the teams and, you know, how they're contributing to the community. Like, do we think that they're doing something positive? Are they representing like marginalized communities or diverse concepts and ideas? And so like the community side of it and like what we build out of these showcases is almost as important as what we're we're actually showing game wise to us, uh, and so for something like GDC, like I was saying, you know, we're we're kind of curating for things that we think other developers would be really interested in seeing, or we're curating for teams that we think would really benefit from being at a show like GDC because, like I said, it's industry facing, and for a lot of um, smaller teams, being able to come to an event like that, um, it can be really expensive, it can be really difficult, like. Um, you know, we work with GDC and they provide the space to us, they provide passes. So it's like we can help to make this a really cost affordable way for developers to attend something like GDC that they might not be able to otherwise. So they get to show their game and then they also get to go to like a million really cool talks and meet pretty much like everybody in the games industry. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of like, you know, I can't think of another event really throughout the year where like so many people who work in the games industry just show up and are there. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, and it's an it's an opportunity. It's an awesome opportunity for them to to get a spotlight shown on their game and to get access to the to the uh, industry at large. But also an awesome opportunity for somebody like me and a lot of people that attend to see games they weren't aware of or they've been kind of flying under the radar a little bit. And uh, I think it's awesome it, for me. It's the most exciting place to be at GDC is that the Mega Booth. Oh, thank you. It, yeah, it really is cool. There's an energy there. Uh, you're you're guaranteed to see something, at least something that you've never seen before that that is kind of doing something different and um, daring. I love that. Uh, huge grouping of games this year, yeah. many of which I haven't heard of yet, which is super exciting to me. Some I have. Um, a new The Distant Light is a game that I've played and really yeah. like. Uh, Dangerous Driving mm -hmm is uh basically burnout <laughs> which is from the people that made burnout which i'm super excited about what are some of uh the games that that 
you would like to highlight? I mean, there's so many here, but what are some picks? That yeah, you have? I mean, I always kind of get asked this, and I always feel like I need to do the like, I love all my children all the same, you know, like sure. which which I do. Yeah. But if I were, you know, I and I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, like me as like an individual gamer, like I primarily play city building and management simulation games, which if you know me, mm-hmm. wouldn't really come as a surprise considering that I do it in my work all the time also. Yeah. You're an overlord both in yeah. play and Yeah, in it's really intense. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's um, one of the games that I thought that was really interesting was Airborne Kingdom, um, which, oh, yeah, yes. which is just, it's visually just really beautiful and it's like a really interesting take on a city building game. And yeah, it's just a really, it's one of those, like as soon as you look at it and you start playing it, you're like, ooh, cool, like, why isn't this done more often? Um, which I really love like um, seeing a game like that. Like the first time that we had Cuphead um, submit, it's like you play it and you're like, oh my God, why is everybody in the world like not making a game that has this visual aesthetic? Like it's just, I don't yeah, know, for some reason yeah. it just pops in your head and you're like, wow. Um, yeah, I saw a trailer for Airborne Kingdom and I was like, I must yeah, play yeah. this. <laughs> it really is like, it's like, uh, yeah, city builder, but the cities all have giant propellers and float through the sky and can move from place to place. I was like, genius. Yeah, yeah, and it's got a really cool like kind of like feeling to the weight when you're like starting to add stuff to it. Yeah, it's it's a really like fascinating take on on city building, which I think is fun. Um, yeah, and then I mean we've shown this at PAX before, but Disco Elysium, um, which has gotten a ton of buzz, and you know I think is super cool. Um, Twin Cop as well too. That was actually something we showed at our mega show in Atlanta when we did our own event um, a few years ago, and it was really funny because uh, Adult Swim. Uh, partially sponsored it and they were there and the twin cup team is from atlanta and they met the adult swim people there and they're like we live in the same city like why have we not seen this game like um and they were like super excited about it uh there's also the wintermore tactics club which is kind of it's like a game that i don't really i don't know we've seen it once or twice come through the submissions and there's something about it that is just really interesting to me it's like a tactics adventure game hmm um, there's like snowball fighting. It's based in a school. I don't know. It's a little hard to describe and it sounds like it wouldn't be super interesting, but there's like something about it when I've played it and they, they made a ton of progress and have made a lot of like really interesting um, uh, like growth um, with inside the game, which I think is is super cool. I was, uh, I was also noticing while true learn, uh, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me. It's basically gamifying learning how to program kind of right. Yeah, which I think is like something that um, a lot of developers are interested in doing is like, how do you how do you teach people the system of, you know, of programming or of, of creating something like that? And how do you make it in a way that's like fun? And, you know, I guess educational, but not educational games, because, <laughs> you know, right. when you think of educational games, you think of like word muncher. Um, yeah, you I kind do of, anyways, people get turned off. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds boring. Yeah. But actually, you know, making it this compelling cool game that sort of secretly teaches you things (laughs) yeah yeah exactly um one of my uh one of the developers that i worked with in in boston like years ago he had a really interesting talk that was like um educational games suck but they don't have to um and it was it was really good and it was it was the whole idea around like hey you learn a ton of systems in a game anyways like he was using assassin's creed as an example Um, So you're learning all these systems and you're learning like this, you know, totally detailed map of historical Boston. And, you know, you're learning how all this stuff works. And then the game is like, okay, you use this to like kill people. He's like, all you have to do is just change (laughs) that last little part of it, you know, and just teach whatever you want to teach in it. And so he makes like um, a lot of really interesting games that that have that in it. And I'm always really like happy when I see somebody making a game that's supposed to teach you something where, 
yeah, where it does that, where it's like teaching you a system and you're learning through discovery as opposed to just like pounding you over the head with like, do a math problem and it'll shoot a spaceship out of the sky. Those things don't make sense to each other like at all. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, It's, it's so cool. Um, And this year you have uh, developers from eight different countries and oftentimes, I mean, you get to walk up and talk to these developers. These are oftentimes, you know, one, two person teams, sometimes more, but uh, these are really very personal projects from a lot of these people, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was thinking too, I mean, a lot of the games that I had mentioned, like that was, we swapped the games halfway through the show. So if you're actually at the event, um, we do, we have a certain subset of the games at the beginning of the week and then another set um, at the end of the week as well too. So actually I just realized a lot of the ones I was mentioning were kind of like more at the the beginning of the year or the beginning of the week. But yeah, so there's like, we get a lot of people submitting to want to come to GDC from, like I said, all over the place because it's a really important event and to be able to get your team to come out, you know, to the U S to come to something that there's that many people like, you know, we were actually run into a case a lot where we're having to help people get, um, like visa letters together and like, you know, formally invite them to it because they have to go and like get approval to be able to travel into the U S to like show their game. And it's such an important event um, that we really try to make sure that we can make that happen as much as possible for them. It's super cool. Yeah. And, and I do notice there is at least one unannounced title here as it is for the, yeah. the later Wednesday through fi- Friday list of games from flight school. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think by the time that this goes live, our PAX East um, announcement will have gone out as well. And there's also some unannounced uh, titles in there as well, too. So yeah. I think it's been like we've been getting that more in this past, like, I'd say two cycles of shows where people are really like timing their announcements around coming to an event and being like, hey, here's the game. Like now it's playable for the first time. Like I think for GDC, uh, Teresa put this together for me. Thank you, Teresa. (laughs) Um, I think there's 21 games that are showing like out of 24, they're showing new content or stuff that hasn't been shown before or showing a game for the first time, which is like, I love that kind of stuff. You know, I really like when people are, are actually discovering content through the games that we're curating. And also that the developers are really thinking about like, the timing of how they're showing this off um, and kind of being able to build a bit of that excitement to say like, Hey, you know, like literally nobody's ever seen this before. Like come and check it out. And it shows that it's a big deal for them. You know, it's this is yeah. a big, this is a big, uh, a moment for them and they want to have some excitement generated from it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you mentioned PAX East, which is, you know, right on the heels of GDC. I know. I it's the next <laughs> weekend, right? Um, yes, it is. Uh, and 24 titles at GDC. It looks like 54 at PAX? Uh, definitely more than that. <laughs> more, oh, yeah. No, plus uh, plus the ones that are in the mini booth. Wow. Yeah. So there's another 25 in the mini booth. So you're looking at a ton of games you're bringing to PAX, which yeah. is pretty exciting because, you know, PAX, I think, is the, the show that most of our listeners will, will be able to attend, which is yeah. pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I think we have a total of 78 different titles. Uh, wow. This, Yeah. This, so the the 50 some game or 40, you know, ish so games, we have the mega booth space and then the mini booth space. And um, for those of you who haven't gotten to check one out before, um, basically, we just b- like buy out a giant chunk of the show floor at PAX. Um, and then we split it up into a bunch of different spaces. And so the mega booth spaces are more like a traditional um, like 10 by 10 square foot or 10 by 10 foot um, like 
you know, regular booth space. And then we have a mini booth area, which is shared um, between a bunch of developers and we have kiosks there. And that kind of makes it like a little bit more turnkey, um, a a bit cheaper for the teams. It's like a lot less work um, because putting together a full booth, even like when you come and you look at the the indie spaces, like they seem really lo-fi compared to everything else, but like everything is just so much harder and expensive and more complicated than you think it would be to do it at an event. It's like, where does carpet come from? Where does electrical yeah. come from? Why does a trash can cost two hundred dollars? It's like yeah. there's so stuff much you stuff think you don't about. think of. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, you know. And there's like hundreds of thousands of people who come to PAX over the course of the weekends, and you know, it's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, and tons of like you know workers and union workers and event companies and folks like us and the studios, and so it's like a really intricate. Um, thing to put together. And so for some teams, like, obviously, that's incredibly overwhelming, even with our help, uh, which is the majority of like what we're doing at the shows. We're like, hey, this is a big, crazy, overwhelming thing that you wouldn't understand how it works unless you've gone through it. So like, we will help you go through it and we'll hold your hand. And like, you know, if if you break something or, you, you know, something goes wrong, like we can totally help you do that. And you don't have to like be figuring it out on your own for the first time. Um, yeah. So a lot of the mini booth teams, it's, it's that situation as well, too. But then sometimes we have folks like, um, you know, Lucas Pope, like, just really likes to show in the mini booth. And we would have people like he was showing, um, you know, Curse of the Oberdin a couple times in the mini booth. And people are like yelling at me about it. They're like, why aren't you putting him in a full booth space? I'm like, he doesn't want one. <laughs> he just wants to show up and show his game. And he doesn't want to deal with the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so what is your what is your day to day during the show like? What What do you do? Are you Are you just sort of able to relax and enjoy it or is it still no (laughs) (laughs) no not at all no it is i mean it is really enjoyable and actually to be fair so like um with the mega booth over the last year or two you know there's been a lot of changes in the team and how i'm running things and you know this has been it's going to be seven years um (laughs) since we've ran the first showcase at pax east in 2012 and i've been working on it and running it that entire time and for the first year or two it was like I had another job and I was doing it like volunteer and lots of people were pitching in and then at some point I was like okay I'm gonna make this like a a real job and a company Um, and then it kind of kept going on and I was like oh my god like this is this is still happening and (laughs) I'm working all of the time and I'm driving myself crazy Um, and we don't really like we weren't really set up to run it in a way that like made sense in the long term so Um, so the team that we have now is amazing. Like it's just, it's, they're so good. And so now we have like people that specifically help to like run the logistics of the event. Um, so before I was like doing the sponsorships and partnerships and like, and the curation and with the ordering and like, and I had people helping me, but I was like involved in like literally everything. I was doing like 40 jobs. Um, and so now I've stopped doing that, which is actually <laughs> harder than it sounds because like delegating and giving up the work of something that you really love and that you've like helped to build is is incredibly hard and like really humbling. And, you know, I'm 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 always kind of like peeking in and being like, well, I would say it differently or I would do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the team has been great. And so the last few shows, um, you know, a lot of like there's um, Karen and Ashley and Teresa and like um, all of these folks who like who are helping to like physically run the space, you know, and handling the logistics and working with the developers like on, on site, which means that for me, like I'm able to have more like meetings and um, catch up with folks and go and talk to developers and like work with our sponsors and our partners. And so most of my time is spent honestly, just like having lots of meetings. Um, 
I'll do also like a lot of like tours of the space as well too. So like walk people that we're working with through the space and kind of introduce them to the teams and talk about um, stuff that could be interesting for them to work with. And so, you know, for us, I really love putting work like that together because our sponsors really want to meet these teams. They want to talk to the developers and they want to find cool content. And then for the developers, you know, they also want to like get discovered on platforms and they want to look for funding and they're looking to make these connections. So the fact that we get to facilitate that um, and kind of make it easier on both sides is, is really interesting to me. So I spent a lot of time doing that kind of work as well. Um, and then at places like GDC, I'm, you know, giving talks or I'm working on the IGF stuff as well too. So it's kind of a combination of a lot of, of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you bring up Lucas Pope. I, I'm, I imagine it's very satisfying for you to see games that you've highlighted and, and given a platform go on to have such success and get, recognized on a larger scale yeah i mean it's it's really great like i i love the the way that the community that we've been able to build facilitates people being able to help each other and signal boost and just get stuff out there like get their games out there and so when we're seeing stuff that comes to the submission process that really just like clicks with everyone it's so it's so great to be able to see that get manifested out into like kind of the rest of the universe and for it to find the audience um, that it's really yeah. looking for and to kind of be on the ground floor of seeing that. And and honestly, like, I think it's, it feels kind of like an honor that people send that stuff when it's so early to us to look at because they see the work that we're doing as like an important stepping stone. And that to me still kind of blows my mind. Like the fact that, that people think that highly of us, that they would send stuff that early that is like so interesting. Um, and then also, you know, there are so many folks that give back to the community. Like we run this thing um, called the alumni fund where people who have gone through the mega booth, like showcases, we put them all on a mailing list and we call it the alumni list. So they've like graduated, you know, from mega booth school or whatever. Um, (laughs) But that community does a lot of really like great work to help um, new folks who are getting in. And like, we have a fund set up that developers who have become successful that have benefited from the work that we've done actually donate in financially um, into a fund that we have that we use to help to support teams who who might need you know an extra leg up or some help um, covering their booth costs and so you know it's stuff like that that I think is just really amazing about like how much everybody really cares about the games industry in general and then also the mega booth community and the and the people in the community that we built around that. Well, like I said, it, it, I think it's the most exciting place to be in all of gaming is is inside that mega booth because. At whatever event it is, you are guaranteed to see, I think, the cutting edge of gaming, the most exciting place where people are really pushing the envelope and trying something new and, and really bringing the most creativity. It's, it's where people can, uh, you know, treat games as art in its truest sense and really take risks because they don't, they're not beholden to stockholders to, you know, yeah. make the X amount of dollars. It's an exciting place. And, uh, um, I love being there. Just to wrap up, do you, yeah, do you see any trends this year in the in the crop of games that that you saw and that you ended up selecting? Any anything for twenty nineteen that that is um, unique or notable? Um, you know, I always kind of feel like it, I felt like this was a little easier a couple of years ago, and I think people have kind of gotten, or at least indie developers have gotten out of the habit of like kind of like catching fads in games. Because like I remember, like after FTL was popular, like everybody made an FTL like game. It was right. like you know everyone's going crazy about it, and then everyone's like, "Don't 
you know, why aren't a bunch of indies making battle royale games? And I'm like, you need an insane server for that, <laughs> right. for that kind of stuff. Like that's way outside of like the capabilities of a small team. Um, but I think like, you know, over the last few years, I think there's just been so much like there's been so many platforms and so many issues around discoverability and there, it just feels like there's kind of not this like formula of like, oh, if I just put a zombie in my game or if I just do mm-hmm. this. And so I think it's really kind of like melted back out into this like, I, I was actually just going to curse, but I won't. Um, and to just say, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to like make what I want to make and just see what happens with it um, yeah. and to kind of put it out there. And so I feel like there's a lot of like a bit more like, yeah, like kind of experimental, a little bit like weirder and a little bit more personal and kind of unique. And I think people, honestly, it just kind of feels like having fun with the fact that you could just create and make whatever you want to. Um, You know, it it can feel, I think, very serious. And especially, you know, if you're in a situation where you don't have the funding, you know, you don't have um, personal money to fall back on or something, and you're doing it and it's like a really like, I have to like, this financially needs to work out for me. Um, It can be really hard to take the creative risk, which is why this is a whole other conversation around funding and like access to funding. Um, But, you know, when you kind of get in that mindset, I think that's when you start being like, okay, well, if I do X, Y, and Z, then this person will feature it and this thing will happen and this thing will happen. And those formulas have totally been blown out of the water um, Mm -hmm. over the last few years. And so, you know, everybody's just kind of like, well, you know, who knows? So I might as well just try what I've always wanted to try and do what I think will work and just go with it and see what happens. So I kind of feel like it's not really a satisfying trend, I guess, in the sense of like, yeah, you know, everybody's putting pirates in their games. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I, I, I really get the sense of like, of people just kind of trying what they can and just seeing um, what they can put out there. And I think using it a l- like more as a personal creative freedom. And I think also the community really fostering that and audiences really fostering that and like resonating yeah. with games that they feel like are really authentic um, and doing something a bit different, which which I love. Like, I think there should be way more content like that because I think it's just good for everybody overall. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And and I, I, would, I would add that I, from my perspective, one of the big stories of the last, I don't know, five or so years in video games is how the tools to create video games have become more accessible, less expensive, um, you know, less technical, technical, uh, technical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the requirements are less technical. Yeah. And, and so it allows artists who aren't, you know, native programmers or, or it, it opens up the medium to be a, a medium of expression for a larger group of people. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the fruits of that. Yeah in these kinds of games where, you know, you have the tools, they're available and they're sort of easier uh, for a larger group of people to use. Um, and it allows people to make personal stuff and, and create art. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. I would totally agree with that. And I agree, like, like you're saying the kind of fruits of the labor and, you know, also all these like game design programs coming up and kind of more literacy around yeah. technology and um, programming and the integration of art um, into that as well. And the acceptance of the integration of the art. Um, into it is is really like yeah I think is is just starting to kind of like emerge out um, and you know the younger developers that I'm meeting now like I had met um, a young woman at at Dice who's like just graduated from college and she makes these little quick weird mobile games and has like a you know pretty intense following and like the whole kind of like internet culture and and all this and just listening to her and talking to her and she's like yeah I've been making games since I was I don't know like 13 or something and I was like oh my god that's amazing yeah. like. So yeah, cool. like what a yeah, what an interesting time that we're all <laughs> we're all living through in a <laughs> right. lot of different ways. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, so just to uh, just to close out here, I know that you'll be at big at PAX East, but also you're um, going to be having a panel that I am be the uh, um, Indie Mega Booth is presenting a panel, uh, building bridges yes. and breaking barriers. I want to talk about that for a second. Yes. Um, so we've been doing this panel, um, I guess, for like a, a few years now at this point. But basically, uh, we get together a bunch of cool folks who are coming in from interesting places or work with really diverse communities. And we just kind of get everybody together on a panel and we talk about like, hey, what's going on in your community? Like, what are the issues that you're facing? How are you overcoming them? Um, what do you want to see for the future of games? Um, and I always learn so much from these conversations, you know, like how do different people curate uh, you know, when games are coming out of Africa or South Africa or something, or like what's going on in China at the moment, or like, you know, what are the issues around um, working with young women in games industry? And so it's this kind of cool collective of just like all these people who are, are advocating um, for change and for positive movement in the games community in their own ways, just getting together and kind of talking to each other and answering questions. So I love that panel. Um, I think we're going to be recording it um, and hopefully putting it up online as well, too. So if you don't get cool. a chance to make it out to the panel. Um, awesome. Oh, and I'm also doing uh, one of the soapbox rants at, um, at GDC. So oh, for those cool. of you who end up being at GDC, I did a rant a few years ago. And actually, I don't really like rant very well. Um, I, I, my, my last rant was called happiness. Um, <laughs> um, but I'm, yeah, I'm putting up the, the finishing touches on what I want to talk about uh, this time around. So the soapbox rants are like, um, it's like indie focus and you just get up on your soapbox and, you know, you get to tell people what you think for five minutes. So I love that kind of stuff. Um, so Great. I'll be doing, I'll be doing that as well too. So um, yeah, you know, come by and visit one or either of them. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you at GDC and uh, yeah. checking out all these games. And it's always such a pleasure to talk to you, Kelly. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks so much right, for uh, having me back. And I guess uh, we'll do it again next year. Yeah. I'll see you then. <laughs> story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. <laughs>